Hey, what's good, what's good, what's good? Welcome to Reflections of a DJ, the world podcast presented by DJ City. I am your host. I'm DJ Crooked. I've got DJ Never here. Yo, what up? We got DJ uh, Jamie the Great somewhere uh, eating a pizza. Uh, he's not going to be on this. <laughs> he's going to do some behind the scenes shit. Our boy DJ D Miles is not here. He's MIA. Headed back to Vegas. This is a special New York edition. So we got two guest hosts with me. Uh, we're not worthy to have these guest hosts, but they're here. We got my boy DJ MoMA. Was and good. we got the great DJ Goldfingers. Wow. And um, I got two dudes here who are very important to the New York party scene, especially when I was coming up in New York. They had one of the, the, the most iconic parties in New York, and they still do. It's still going, and it's still going strong. It's known as The Rub. They've made some of the best mixtapes, I think, ever mm-hmm. that I've ever heard, and they've really kind of been... Uh, some of the trailblazers in, in music genres pushing new music out and just being on top of the new trends and everything. And I'm really glad to have you guys here. We got DJ Ayers and DJ Eleven. Thanks for coming Yo. through, man. <laughs> What's good? What up? You know, I haven't seen you in a minute. It's been a very long time. <laughs> What's good, fellas? Last time you, you came through the club, um, who was DJing? Which club? Oh, at... Uh, at the Rub, yeah. At the Rub... It, you, well, you moved it because it used to be at South Park. Yeah. And it was, shit, it was probably like three, four years ago? It wasn't that long. It wasn't that long no, ago? No, no, no. It was like a year or two ago. No, I, I can't thought, remember who was playing. You were at the Bell House. But it was, but it was you two that was playing. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. We always was. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, <laughs> but I, I wonder who else was playing. I didn't I do know remember you was. coming like re- pretty recently. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, that's, that's how old we are that recent for us is two years ago. <laughs> I know. <laughs> no. But I mean, I, I, I was like thrown off because... It was at a new location, and I haven't seen you guys in so long, and it was just like, it was just like, it was just really like, it was heavy for me, like, it was just like, to be back at this party, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I remember this party being one of the first cool parties that actually dragged me out to Brooklyn, because I never went to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and it was it was the rub, it was at Southpaw, and it was the first time uh, coming up where... I could actually, you know, you guys would tell me I could play whatever I wanted, and I I didn't get it at first. And then when I when I experienced it from for myself, and I was dropping like uh, Brooklyn Dodgers, you know, in book in Brooklyn at the Rub, and then doing like a Prince set, it was just insane. And we were on, we were on vinyl at the time, probably right. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and then you would line up. Um, I don't know you guys would usually have like two or three DJs there, right? Yeah. And you guys had had write-ups in like New York Times, Time Out Magazine, and everything. And, and everything you built with the rub, it, it soon uh, evolved into this mixtape, this kind of like mashup mixtape, right? That yeah. everyone knows about. Uh, it's the motherfucking remix. And on the first one, you actually pressed vinyl. And I was like, I was. I guess you guys took one of my mashups, which was uh, the O3 Bonnie and Clyde with... Uh, uh, Arrested, Arrested Development, development. Yeah. yeah, and it was the first time I've ever been pressed on wax, and that was like a really legendary time for me. And, and then, you talked on that record, yeah. <laughs> your ad libs on that are still a high point in the rubs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where I was like talking to them, like they were actually in the studio with me. A O B A O J, like he's there with them. Yeah. yeah, but like he's in the back seat. Yeah, I know. I want to turn it around and ask you a question though. Can you tell people how you made that? That because it's uh, it, it, the way the way that you recorded that is is fucking fascinating for people who know how you know you people record music into a computer now, right? Right, and and then people would 
were also recording music into a computer, but you weren't. You you did something different. Yeah. So I had an MPC three twelve hundred, right? Yeah, I believe MPC three twelve hundred. And I took the instrumental for Arrested Development. Uh, people every day. People every day. And I broke down the sections, so I knew like these sections are good. This is the chorus section with the horn that goes, you know. And then this is the section during the verse. And then this is the section where it kind of breaks down to whatever. And I recorded, and I basically had the sections. And then I had uh, I had the uh, acapella on vinyl for O3, Bonnie, Clyde, Jay Z, and Beyonce. And then I had a mini disc recorder. And so basically, I was like a madman recording. That's hip-hop right there. I had the mini disc recorder start. I started the MPC. <laughs> and then I went on the mic. And then I would just talk. And I was like pretending like I'm talking to Jay. And I'd be like, yo, Jay. Yo, Jay. Yo. Let, me, let me hear the first verse. <laughs> can we play that? Can we play just the intro to it no, right now? <laughs> this is like Pro Tools 11 without the point and crooked is using and then, the And then I was on the mic, and then I, as I'm on the mic, I'm trying to cue the acapella. So it's like it's on beat. And then I'm changing the MPC at the same time to go to like the verse section. Um, so yeah. you gave me a CDR to. <laughs> A CDR to get to to like basically master and then put into this mixtape with Pro Tools, and it's like okay, okay, use take take three, but but then punch in after the second chorus take seven. Yeah, yeah. Like put that together because I got two good takes. I got the, yeah. Is that how a, I gave it to you? Of a mashup. Is that how I gave it to you? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and that's what that's what you did. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit! Yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> It never gets old. <laughs> so I'm literally talking on the mic and I'm queuing up the acapella. And I'm like, and then at some point I'm like, yo, Jay. Right? Yo, Jay. <laughs> did, you, did your mom come in at some point and ask you who you were talking to? I think I was just being loud. <laughs> she just came in. I had the nerve to call Jay baby, too, at the same time. <laughs> Hey, what I'm gonna, hey, Jay, what I'm gonna need you to do is start the the first verse at the count of three, alright, baby? Pretty sad, man. Pretty sad. It's classic. Yeah. Classic. But that was the and it was, worked in the club. It really yeah. worked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a. You guys had a sick lineup on that though. You had Holotronics, Diplo, mm-hmm. Low. You had uh, Mark, Mark Ronson. Ronson. Yeah. And you guys, it was just a s- sick lineup. Mark Ronson was already busy at that point with Wale and um, with Amy Winehouse, and uh, but was still DJing parties and would still come play at the Rub sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, so I talked to him about, um, w- you know, what it was. And he, he, he did a lot of blends live in the club. Like, he was known for right, that at yeah. that time. And was a really early open format dude, you know. So um, he had mixes that he had done live that I'd seen him do. That's like, okay, just record that and give it to me. And uh, he, 
he did it and it was like uh train wrecked like it was sloppy he didn't he didn't do it in the computer he just he right. just kind of did it and he, it was the smiths over um run dmc, run DMC. so i like just scrapped what he gave me and and just made it myself <laughs> for the, for the and put it in the mix because Ronson like his time was expensive even then right right so I, ju I just did that and fixed it for him because I thought that that would be like a bad showing and right, I never right. talked about it or anything oh yeah so you actually redid it for him yeah. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. did yeah. you ghost tell? produce did his mashup yeah did yeah. you tell him that no <laughs> no I just fixed it for him because, I mean got the levels right so he's everything. not knowing yeah. until right now that you kind of fixed it or he's <laughs> not gonna listen to this Ayers <laughs> also did all of those big uh, Bruno Mars hits for uh, uh, Ronson yeah. too yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I fixed them you fixed it yeah I, I tuned, so, them, tuned them up a little so bit so we, we originally called uh, acapellas over different beats blends right yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and then at some point where the fuck did mashup come from and then how did you guys know that this was like gonna be because i always have this conversation with never what was the first fucking mashup that was pressed on wax and i think it was the acdc stretch armstrong my name is or was it's it either that or the inhumans the closer with the in the club acapella okay so there's all this stuff sure. and then there's a totally parallel thing going on in england right bootlegs because too many DJs were were doing yeah. the same kind of stuff and mostly up tempo, but what they what we would call edits then or yeah. blends like they were they were calling bootlegs or mashups and that's why you know because the Caribbean culture they called it mashups yeah because yeah. the Caribbean culture over there in England like right. you're just mashing up the club yeah you know so mashups came from the name mashups came from that and like. It, that's why it was such a loose thing that like there was also a mashup party. Well, it doesn't mean you're going to hear all blends. It just meant then that it was going to be a bunch of stuff mashed up, mashed up together. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it was also different from open format because that had a specific meaning too, which it means that you're going to hear like ACDC and Guns N' Roses and, you know, like pop, right. pop rock stuff at a hip hop party. Oh man, I love it. I love that that's where it came yeah. from. Did you well, know that? I didn't know that. No. I yes. love the fact that at a certain point, mashup became one of like the widest genre of music in the club, <laughs> and it came from like it became a bad word. From, huh? It became a bad it word. It did, but yeah. it came from like <clears throat> Jamaican reggae roots yeah. a little bit. You know what I mean? Which is kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah. And we f we fought it pretty hard. Like we would put in our press releases when we would send out CDs, you know, or, um, or the the release notes that. Like this is not a mashups tape. It's the motherfucking remix. Like it's right. these these are these are DJ. Oh, you didn't want that. No, we didn't because we didn't want to be associated with that. Although it's kind of you know shooting yourself in the foot to not ride that wave. You know when you when you have a but when you drop that an opportunity when to you drop that make what else what 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 else had dropped that at, at that point on wax was it just the ACDC the Inhumans they put out a the lot of Nine Inch Nails yeah the Nine Inch Nails over um Fifty Cent in the club right and then there was, was there a Jay Z and an encore there was encore a and, um, <clears throat> I think Danger Mouse had come out at that point the Danger Mouse one with the um with the Portis head and the Nas. Uh, right. The, mm -hmm. the, the, yeah. There was a, things that came out before that, though. And people Jean don't Jack. remember this, but it was notorious. They were on um, right. the turntable lab was like such a, you know, was where you could find all that stuff. But but for us in New York, um, we were going to Kim's video. Like Kim's had all kinds of just weird import uh, mashups and bootlegs that people didn't know about. And you and so 
um, they wouldn't be credited right. Right. But I mean, if you think back, there's production stuff that's um, like Ain't Armand and Party Breaks and shit. A lot of those were blends. You know, like there there was mashups on Aviate yeah, yeah. or or blends or whatever on Aviate before any of this stuff. It, it just wasn't like really weird combinations, like ironic shit. But it, I mean, it, you know, it's it's not that different from um, the Black Sheep. But the mashup you know, sampling like yeah, cre- yeah. credence or whatever. Like, but the mashup didn't have that bad stigma name to it in in the beginning stages like that. It was wasn't it called like a remix in the beginning stage before it was called mashup. No, well, I'm, I'm wondering, like, when you guys dropped that, and you were like, this isn't a mashup, was there that bad stigma? Because it became, the bad stigma to me for mashup came when all the MySpace DJs started becoming, I'm a mashup DJ, I'm a mashup DJ. Like around Serato time. Yeah. Yeah. So this it wasn't pre-Serato, there, it wasn't, Yeah, right? this is pre-Serato, but I'm wondering if it yeah. still had that bad stigma on it that you didn't want to be called mashup. I didn't no? think it. I, I think it think didn't. It, it didn't, all right? It, it hadn't yet. So then why didn't you guys want to call it like a mashup at that time uh i mean we all uh airs and i and our partner our third partner at the time cosmo like we came from a hip-hop tradition like it's it's right. just what hip-hop djs did right so it didn't it you know we didn't need to coin a new term or jump onto another new term mm-hmm. to describe what we were doing it was just what you do right yeah and, and i mean i think also like mashup did, did have the connotation of of being like ironic hipster shit you know we're like uh we're, we're gonna we're gonna put these two things together uh and uh and in doing so like take the blackness out of uh out of urban music right, right. and like I, I think that that's that's also i know just for me like i i didn't want to be you know this is like our first big look i don't want it to to be like oh yeah like those are the hipster ironic just like DJs, Bjork, like yeah. when over a fabulous beat or something. Yeah, right. yeah. When right. when when um when we came up in like New York clubs, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we we were doing stuff that we, that we were doing in clubs already. Like what we were talking about. Like the reason you were able to do that mm-hmm. um on in, onto a mini disc is because you had done that in the club before. It might have been at at ten forty five. You know, it was. I don't think I, I never did that in really? the club. I did it actually for your your mixtape mm-hmm. because I think. I forgot how you guys did it. You're like, we're doing this thing. Can you do it? No, but he's saying you were running acapellas over instrumentals in the club. I don't know if I was doing it like that. Like, I, wouldn't, <clears throat> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have done Arrested Development and Old Three Bonnie and Clyde like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I would have done it in a more party. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I did it that much. Looking at my the way I DJ it, I didn't do it that much. I, I mean, at that point for us, we were, we were using four turntables uh, and two mixers. Uh, daisy chain together and tag teaming with each other a lot hey. which gives you the uh the ability to you know to, to like run a uh run an acapella over over a beat right, right and then you know tap the other guy and say like okay you know one two three four you come in right, right. you know mm-hmm. and drop the beat out he comes in with the next thing and it was it was just a way for for two DJs to like mm-hmm. seamlessly go back and forth and and go to these really weird places that you couldn't just with. I think you know, I was two I turntables. Was, I think I was still using acapellas as just transition things where I could if I'm playing like Khalees Milkshake right, run mm-hmm. the acapella or either start with the acapella and then run the record in, or end it with the acapella and run a record out. You know, like mm-hmm. going yeah. to like another record. Yeah. But I didn't I didn't want to be stuck. 
blending an acapella and an instrumental like in the club i felt like it was a little for me too much work <laughs> like, <laughs> i don't, I don't I want you too much work and it'd be i mean it'll be different to like it'd be a lot of space to transition from the acapella into an instrumental to another one and you kind of lose the crowd while that shit is going on. Yeah, because on. I want to, I want to grab. Because on vinyl, while that's running, while while one record's playing, mm-hmm. I want to grab the next three records and get that shit to keep, ready. To keep the party going. If I'm like, if I'm wasting my time trying to run like an acapella and, or and match that acapella with the instrumental, it's just like kind of losing the crowd exactly. a little bit. But that's, yeah. I mean, that's such a New York way of looking at it, though. Like right. on on the West Coast, that's not the way that even party DJs, club DJs, were playing. Like they were playing. Long blends, not capella blends, and the energy would be sort of this roller coaster. Yeah, uh-huh. and yeah. see, Eleven's from Oakland. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Yeah. So like, you got the West Coast. Uh, what do you call it? You got the West Coast Bay Area mm-hmm. fucking style. And then Ayers, you're from Kentucky. Where are you from? <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> Mississippi. <laughs> yeah. And so like, actually, like your mixtapes, Eleven, when you were dropping like. Bay Area shit. I was totally like, I did not know anything about Bay Area shit. Too short and everything like that. I never bought in New York. I just never thought to buy a too short record. No. Or to buy any of those West Coast shit. You know what I mean? Too short did it that record with Biggie Smalls. Yeah, yeah. That was only too short. That and um, the one with Eric Sermon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. People buy you some West Coast stuff out in New York. Yeah, so it's you would know better because you worked. You would know from Beat Street. Yeah. Beat Street. I mean, Street. Yeah, Sorry. you know, we bought a lot of records. It just wasn't that it was as popular as the East Coast. You didn't, you know, it was a niche. Yeah, it, was a niche. it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you remember out of town mixtapes. <clears throat> totally. When every. <laughs> Totally. Every other region in the country, it's like the classic New Yorker cover where there's where there's uh, there's there's a map of New York and then blah 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 everything else in California. Right. Like Mr. C used to do, and and uh, I mean kind of every D, every DJ that was pressing up CDs at that point in like uh, the early two thousands um, would just do out of town mixtapes, and so they would have Master P on it, but then they would also have you know Chicago shit on it and right. and, and have LA stuff on right. it. Like well, so here's you know, and it was it was like exotic here, but it's not like I mean you, you could listen to Cameron back in the day and tell that they that they were rapping over Master P beats like right right in the hood people were listening to Southern records right it just wasn't on the radio yet then right and and I mean we're also talking about twenty years ago, but like as in I think I was on kind of the New York high horse also as well where I was just like. Y'all gotta really have a hit record for me to listen to you for, if you were outside of New York at that True. time. I yeah. think I was on that shit. So yeah. if it, like a, like a, I would say the first time we really started fucking with the South was like Juvenile, mm-hmm. right? When Ha came out, Cash mm-hmm. Money Click, that's it. BG, JT Money, yeah. And then we were just like, I was like, yo, that shit is dope. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then, but before that, I didn't really, we didn't, really, I didn't really take down South. I mean, was you playing Master P? Cause that was like before, a little bit before juvenile. I mean, it was like it was I right. like I would it, I would play it. I thought I thought like about about it was like some dope hood shit. And uh-huh. then like it, the I wobble remember, wobble, nah. Like, nah. It was like for me I it mean, was that, like you that know, was a little after ha. Huh? Wobble wobble was a little after ha. Really? No, nah. yeah, it, it, it was like around the time Master P. Nah, came was, up with, uh, was, I think, let's like go to Goldfinger. I feel like it was just, later. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, but I, I, the I old wobble really wobble, the wobble wobble and shake it shake it, not yeah. not the VIC wobble. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And then like I don't, I went to, I went to college in Chicago for like two years, 
but I got introduced to Crucial Conflict and like do or die. <laughs> yeah. And then like obviously we love Common because Common sounded East Coast. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He had that East Coast flavor, but then like when well, you he, went was, to, he had beat nuts beats and like you know like yeah. Mr. Juju Sinister. Yeah, yeah. But then like the, the second, second I mean the, the second album was almost all no ID with Resurrection, right? right. And yeah. that was that was like the heart of my college years, like the freshman. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. uh and that was on relativity too, which yeah. is, you know. But then all the Chicago label. kids would like drill into my head, pause, like you know, the do or die, and the twister, and the fucking crucial conflict. Mm-hmm. And I had a respect for that shit after when I left, so it kind of opened my. But honestly, it, on some New York shit, like it was just all New York. Yeah. Even Pac, and I had this conversation with him, like, yeah, I wasn't fucking with Pac. But I you, thought you know the, the, a lot of the things was as far as with <clears throat> the people that were promoting the records because all the offices are here in New York. Yeah, they almost promoted the records as an afterthought. It yep. was like, yeah, we got Tropical Quest, but here's a two show record or here's an right. E40. Right. Mm-hmm. But those records were their pioneer records at that sure. time. Like, yeah. if you you know you had fucking I want to be saved, that was just as big as a war tour. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you you know in reality. Yeah. But because we had that option or it wasn't stressed. Yeah. To play that, mm-hmm. it didn't really get burned. So by the time yeah. you get to '98 and Juvenile, you're just discovering it. But if we had kind of did our job in '94, '95, mm-hmm. you would have been like, oh, you know, open arms. Right, right, right. I yeah. was in college in '94 and '94, um, '95. Somebody played, and I'm I'm from Mississippi, and so at that time, the not Kentucky. The um, <laughs> at that time, the Southern rap was like, you know. Bama is fuck, but besides Miami, right? You know, which which is Bama in a yeah, different Miami way. Miami is Bama, in a but but like this the stuff from where I'm from, from Mississippi, and the stuff from uh, from New Orleans and Baton Rouge mm-hmm. was like if if you moved to New York, you moved away from that, and that was like you know it that that was like the the rap record about riding horses or something like it's really not far off from that. It was like really? I, old like town, I felt really self conscious about road. that shit. It's like um, old town road shit, and somebody played me. The out the first Outcast record, and I was oh, just like, yeah. "Nah, really? Nah. Yeah, yeah." I was like, "Nah, this is some Bama shit." And and then came around to it like two years later when they had a couple of you know on the second record, you're like, right. "Oh, oh wow, this, this, this is some weird, cool shit." Yeah, yeah. This yeah. isn't just like some some country rap shit, but like it, yeah, for sure. It. it uh, I can't lie. I thought the first Outcast record was a little Bama, but I liked it. I thought yeah. it was amazing. At, at, really? At, at, around, yeah. I wasn't a fan time. of it. I thought it was good. It was like too down south for me. Yeah. What was the first single again? Uh, Players, Players Ball. Players Ball. Ball. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, that was, exactly. was insane. The even oh, how they were how yeah. yeah the remix was crazy with the piano keys. The remix mm-hmm. was nuts. And then I, like I, elevators. Big Boy sounded so good on it. It's mm-hmm. so funny when they played that. They started playing it. Um, I first heard it on Video Music Box in mm-hmm. New York. And I was like, I was like, yo, why are they playing this fucking country hip hop? Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's. I didn't start. Too. I didn't start to like oh, Outkast until the second album. Where um, yep. it was the Elevators. Yeah. Yeah. But right. That, yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Was, after that, I was just like, okay, I get yeah. it. And they, Goody they Mob with Soul Therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's what I was. You know, like, oh, sorry, to appreciate it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Even the look of the video with like them playing cards. Yeah. And the Cadillacs, and then like even 
Andre 3000 playing pool with no shirt on. And was, like to me, it was too country. No, but I thought I thought that was like, yo, that shit is dope. That shit is crazy. And See, then, and, that, but it had East Coast like the just way they were on that yeah. on that. Um, Puffy directed that video. Yeah, yeah. So and that had a lot to do with the aesthetic of them having the basketball. I mean, the baseball jerseys. Yeah, on, I love that. The and eight, that yeah. the king goal and all yeah. that stuff. So yeah. he had a lot to do with with kind of like ushering that. That he that put, yeah, he probably knew you know like I mean? yeah that, uh-huh. that yeah. Yeah. he's a visionary yeah he's a visionary and you remember what it was like when when country grammar came out like nobody in new york was fucking with country grammar at first because yeah. it just sounded like it was from a different world yeah yeah, yeah. flex killed that record and then jumped up in the next video mm-hmm. oh really in ei yeah. he was in a video oh, yeah, right. it's like yeah. he dissed that record country grammar so bad uh-huh. and then he was in the next video i was like mm-hmm. oh how does he does yeah i mean Unreal. thinking back on it it's like embarrassing that new york was so late to all that shit besides like cypher sounds and a few other people that, was, <clears throat> yeah. that were really beating that drum but everyone also felt that they needed the new york stamp of approval on shit no yeah you don't think so nah not I in the bay like, i mean like no, definitely not in the bay and I'm, i think i think that outcast um in the dungeon family is a good example of that not needing to happen in mm-hmm. atlanta yeah, yeah like yeah. they were doing their own thing they found a market for their own thing in Texas, in Southern California, in Northern California, like they, they figured out how to make really good money without mm-hmm. New York, and, and they were also doing shit with TLC around the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not Organized like the noise. Yeah, they, it's not like they were, uh, and and like the the first Outcast thing was a was a feature on a on a just a, a Christmas th- album, throwaway yeah. TLC yeah, Christmas yeah. album. Yeah. I disagree yeah. though. They wanted the validation from New York yeah. because even at the Source Awards, they they feelings was hurt that they wasn't sure. getting they got kind that, of booed you know, when they, they went out yeah. Yeah, that's true yeah. they, sure. they weren't getting that, that you know admiration that they felt they deserved mm-hmm. but I think like the Bay they've always had that we, we do our own thing like yes. we're so different than everybody and historically they've just been yeah. on it like that so they didn't really care about selling units because E40 will tell you in a minute I sold them out the trunk yep. it is what it is yep. you know what I mean I, so, yeah. I, I yeah, interviewed like platinum him. in the yeah. bay yeah I interviewed 40 for a, uh, a magazine article 10 years ago and sort of asked him about that like would you have gone the independent route if you had a choice and he's like Probably not. Like I wanted validation. I wanted to be successful, but they weren't fucking with us, mm-hmm. so we weren't waiting. Right. Like we're doing our right. own thing, right. and I think that 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 do-it-yourself mentality, um, like happened, is responsible for a lot of great regional rap sounds. Uh, Houston, absolutely, totally, mm-hmm. yeah, totally. I think it's crazy how the Bay has, like, even to this day, and I always say this: they don't give a fuck about selling. Records. I'm. I'm like. Uh, like, crossing over and getting their shit played in like New York or whatever. They just like every time I go to that city, they're just the the. Everyone in that city is really content with just hearing their shit, mm-hmm. and knowing that they have their own music there. Boy, it makes it hard to fucking DJ out there if you if you don't know yeah. what you're stepping into. Yep. If you don't get out there and go out on Wednesday night and Thursday night before mm-hmm. you're going to play Friday night, like you're going to fall on your face. Yeah. Unless you have a really generous opener. Yeah, you know, well, like somebody who's going to bring you into the game. Well, the opener would actually play those records knowing that I would be like, yo, he this motherfucker probably don't know that shit. Yeah. And I would just be taking notes like, oh shit, like I didn't, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing like I didn't appreciate the Bay Area shit music so like i live i moved to vegas mm-hmm. and then they were asking for like all of this shit and i was like what burn rubber too short right yeah. like why i gotta play this shit right now and also like things yeah. that you that, that were in your periphery like something like baby bash 
Yeah, know, right. Where it's just like that. There was never a Baby Bash record that that crossed <laughs> over in New York. Right. But in L.A., you know, every mm-hmm. single time, like somebody was buying that shit because it was out. You know, like in, in right. uh, and he he was doing just fine. Right. Just getting his record played on the West Coast. How was that like growing up in the Bay and then moving to New York and having to spin in New York and doing all of that shit? Um. My tastes always sort of skewed more East Coast, mm-hmm. so um, that wasn't really a big issue. But there were certain things like playing six-hour sets. It was like, yeah. oh shit, I gotta be competent at reggae. I gotta be competent at house. That like I just didn't know were gonna be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that w- that was tough. I mean, I can play six hours of hip hop any day, right. but playing six hours. Uh, handling classics and reggae and house and hip hop like that was tough because nobody does that anywhere else what kind of training did you have at the bay like everything closed at one thirty, right yeah uh I don't know I, I always I always have these conversations with west coast DJs and shit uh like how they came up on the west coast and the training they have because sometimes you know like it's not set up like they have a good strong forty five minutes or yeah. an hour and a half. You yeah, know what usually, I mean? And usually parties out there or, or at least when I was playing out there, yeah. um, there would be four or five or six DJs, so everybody paid forty five minutes to an hour. So they had they had like we were talking about, like they could come through and play every hot song in forty five minutes and then just fall apart. Um and that Well, because the peak if if the club closes at two o'clock i mean unless you're doing like a mobile gig or something because a lot of people uh in california came up doing mobile gigs but the if, if the club closes at two o'clock and everybody gets there at midnight then 45 yeah. a 45 minute peak is fine yeah in new york you need three of those you yep. got to go up and down like three times so yeah. it's, it's a it's a completely yeah. different beast yeah, yeah, yeah for sure Definitely. did you learn quick mixing in the bay or new york in the bay Really? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the so let me just uh, set this up. I, I I heard Eleven for the first time at Joe's Pub, mm-hmm. and he was it was like it was pretty packed, and I was listening to him, and he was quick mixing faster than a lot of other DJs that I've heard before. Maybe maybe Riz was a little faster, but yeah, like yeah. Riz is a lot faster yeah. at everything. <laughs> but uh. Uh, shout to Riz, by the way. Yeah. But uh, Hell yeah. when I heard you, I was like, "Fuck, this dude's just running through records." And I'm like, "He's gonna run out of shit," <laughs> and you never did. You <laughs> just kept it going. Yeah. And I was so like, I was so like, I don't know, I was just like in admiration, like, "Yo, how the fuck is this dude doing this?" And I remember like I had a, like a bullshit party that I promoted and I booked you like instantly. I came up to you and I said, "Yo, what's your math? I want to book you and stuff like that." And that's how we linked up, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, how were you? What were you going through? Like you were just running through Bay areas, like area music and quick mixing. Where did that come from? Um, it was sort of like we were talking about earlier. Like I mentioned to Neville, like the the style of DJing on the West Coast, especially when I was coming up, yeah. was long blends and like this this drawn out seamlessness right. that was boring as shit to me. Um, and I felt like there was so much more opportunity to drive the energy in the room work other music in and just make it interesting for myself mm-hmm. um, was a big part of it. Um, and I, I'd struggled with how to do that. And, and the person who I first heard doing it was Joe quicks, who was one of 
the first DJs on the Wake Up Show with uh, Sway and King Tech, um, and just a great fucking DJ. And he he came up between California um, and New York and had adopted the quick mixing style. No one else in the Bay Area was doing it uh-huh. with with. Uh, the skill that he could do it with, like with, both with the musicality and the like technical skill. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And when I heard him, I was like, that's it. That's the way you do it. Um, and so it's, you know, some of it was emulating what he was doing at first and then figuring out how to make it my own. So when I got to New York, it was sort of like, okay, I don't have, you know, I can't run a full marathon, but I could sprint the shit out of a mile. And it was a different way of quick mixing. Cause it wasn't like New York, like dropping on a one. It was like going blending, to the verse and to the chorus to yeah. the, to another verse and to another chorus. Wow. It was yeah. a, it was That's a different. Yeah, they wasn't doing that in New York. At no, all. no, no. So when I heard him at Jill's Pub, I'm like, yo, this dude's going to the meat and potatoes or just starting. And it's just like it seemed like he was turning five songs into one song. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, a if, medley, if you, you know? think about that in terms of when hip hop was invented. That's how people were playing rock records, and that's how people were playing funk records. You play the best part of the record, right. you know, and you bring it back, and you and you rock doubles mm-hmm. of it. But it's not like you were going to listen to the whole spaghetti western part of Apache, right? And then you know what I mean. Or if you did, you were you would get to that to set up the break. And so it's it's a way of like playing every just play the best part of every right. single record like it's I, a break. I always saw that as a New York style, right? Like yeah, definitely. Like yeah. just like yo, get to the break. Scratch it and drop it on the one of whatever it was, and then when it trans- maybe maybe you you go into the middle of it after the break um, plays out, right? Then you drop it in the middle of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I never heard it the way he did it, where he was just like blending in and kind of just going into the verse. Because we, like- we we would have dropped it on the one, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was, it was it was really different at that time. So how the fuck did you guys link up? And then how did you guys make one of the best parties in New York, not being from New York? Which is kind of upsetting. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell the first part, and leave the second part to airs. <laughs> um, we met through mutual friends, who uh, one of which became my uh, now ex girlfriend, um, and she was she was friends or roommates with someone who he knew from college, mm-hmm. and one of the first gigs when I moved to New York that I did was a house party um, at a loft in LES that airs was also DJing at, and. We did not hit it off. No. We didn't. No, we did not. What did we? We bumped heads. Yeah, hey. yeah, a little bit. Justin, <laughs> <laughs> but eleven, eleven. You know, you don't like a lot of people. Peace, that's first, peace, that's first peace, peace. <laughs> like I remember, um, eleven was was also doing like work at Raucous, and he was. It was you were doing accounting work, right? No. No, what, I was what, doing, you were just an intern. What were you doing? Uh, I started out as an intern. Then when I started working there, I was working in the production department, getting vinyl made. So it was. Oh, I didn't know I that. Mean, okay. Was, um, what year was this? Uh, I started around the Big L album and left. Has to be ninety eight. Yeah. Two thousand. Two thousand. Ninety eight. Ninety nine. Yeah. Right around there. Yeah. Big L was, was So I would go, yeah. and then I left, and then I left December of two thousand one. They fired. Like seventy five percent of the staff, two months after or yeah. three months after nine eleven. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was the MCA shit. Yeah, yeah. After they gave Cool G Rap a million dollars, right? Exactly, crazy. <laughs> and then and then got sued for the um, Simon March. Says sample. Yeah, yeah. because oh, uh, yeah. the composer saw it in a uh, in a movie, a Godzilla movie or something. 
No, in well, um, no, they sample Godzilla. They no, sample Godzilla. No, he heard he heard uh, uh, he heard it in the Charlie's um, Angels. Charlie's Angels yeah, movie. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was just like in the theater and he, and here's he's like wait a minute i don't i don't think we i don't think we gave permission for this and then it's a rap song and he's like wait let, let me get my lawyer to deal with this wow. and more or less bankrupted raucous because they didn't yeah. do their fucking job and clear holy shit such yeah. a big <laughs> they couldn't even sell sample. the record anymore they couldn't sell it anymore yeah, yeah they had to take it off the shelf off the shelves. Yeah. right and yeah. that was hot at that time too. yeah it's like yeah. nuts is it on itunes now? did you stream that record I don't think they, they could stream it at all. They oh, did so. still sell it. Yeah, of course like, they I was did. Still, it was I was still, still pressing. It was still out. I was still pressing up vinyl when they weren't supposed to be yeah. selling it. <laughs> it was. It was still out, but you know, at yeah. that point, it, yeah. like, it was supposed know. to be out. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. like all that is just to say that um, that I would go. Uh, this is when when DJs would go around to all the different record labels on Thursday or Friday and get all the promos of the that. new shit. Yeah. Um, you wow. know, because it it you would get it on on Friday mm-hmm. before it it would come in the mail yeah. if you were in a record pool like on Tuesday or whatever and then it's too late yeah, um, somebody took it and I mean I, I remember buying records from Goldie there like, you go at, at Beat Street going to buy uh, you would you would just be there speaking of playing records fast like just dropping the needles so fast yeah. on dance hall thank you uh, yeah. and, just, and me being like yep give me that give me that <laughs> which last that, that is that, let me get that one that, like, yep. drop all these in my bag and there was a it was it, there was a spreadsheet that was like seven pages long. <laughs> showed you had what the rhythms were. All yeah. showed you what all yeah. the rhythms yeah. were. All the artists on each one, and you would um, you you would want to catch them on seven inch before they would uh, before they would come out on the rhythm albums, you know, because by then the song Either, or they the might song not come out. out. Right. They, yeah, right. right. Yeah, or they might not come out. Yeah, so you so you need to get them right when they get there, and it was yeah. kind of the same thing with picking up hip hop promos, especially if you were doing mixtapes. You you need to have those songs in like have your tape pressed up by the weekend. Totally. Kind of, totally. so so yeah. That it, that uh, that's what, how I met Joe. Was like was that strategic in a house party for you to go around. through all those records? No, it was because you were in the store. You would have maybe 15, 20 DJs at the same time. So instead of having to play the same record seven, eight times, you play it once, play the whole rhythm, and then people would be like, oh, "I want that one, that yeah. rhythm," you know, mm-hmm. and just play the rhythm and just you know to play the best ones mm-hmm. and show them like. This is how you would play them if you were playing them in the club. So yeah, you would get an idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, if, if yeah, it right. sells the record too yeah, because yeah. you could be like, okay, this is the yeah. you know, like these. I'm playing this with all the other hot shit. Like you're gonna need this too. Right. You get to like three weeks later, you right. don't need those records anymore yeah. because you were excited about it because of the way Goldie was dropping it. Like, right, right. In well, a, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. I've got boxes of 45. <laughs> so it was strategic. It was strategic in a in a retail setting. Yeah, like yeah. It's, okay. it's so funny to think about how that worked. Uh, what do you, how many? How much of like how many mixtapes did y'all move? Oh, we moved millions. 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 We we moved so many mixtapes that we got rated by the RIA like yeah. at least five times. Really? Yeah. At least five times at least. It used to be like we used to kind of wait for them to come because we knew, oh, it's Christmas time. They're going to shut us down. They're going to come in. Somebody's probably going to want to get paid. Uh-huh. They're going to come in and sweep everything, take everything off. So at some point it was like bootlegs were in the back and it was like a system where we like, kind of like had to know you a little bit. Right. right, right. Like, yeah. oh, he shopped here before. He's cool. He's give him mm-hmm. that one. You know what I mean? Or the mixtapes would be like you had to ask. We have a book with all the list of you mm-hmm. know the papers on there, and you would have to be like, "I want this one." Mm-hmm. Like, all right, yeah, here's the mixtape. That type of shit. Yeah, it was in a binder like Pokemon yeah, cards. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I remember going to Rock and Soul, and you have to go to the back, back of the shops, and they give you the um 
the book to, so you can pick out which 12 inch bootlegs you want to buy yeah. you mm-hmm. have to write a number down and yeah. you put it on at that, at that it point it was really nasty because it used to be like in the store we used to have the bootlegs they they had labels mm-hmm. you know that at some point it was at one point like in 92 93 they were actually color coded they were like just mm-hmm. blank yeah. colors in my handwriting mm-hmm. on on the record telling you what what the records was yeah mm-hmm. and then it w- went to like um you know killer cuts and all that stuff mm-hmm. later 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 mm-hmm. on yeah. but by the time i got to rock and soul it was like it was rappers out of control yeah like, yeah it was shit that was just came out yesterday. The next day it was on bootleg. It was yeah. like, yeah, come yeah. on, you know, like you have to buy the real record first, you know, that type of shit. Yeah, and and like money saving compilations. Oh yeah, totally. Like totally. Bo- bootlegs of stuff where you could you could get this one thing, but then you would have like four, four or five other four drinks. different records mm-hmm. on it that that you would be introduced to. Where like okay, you you have to have this, but like. It's a space saver. So you would, you would buy certain things just so you could leave four records at home, yeah, and yeah. not to have to carry yeah. ten boxes. Exactly, it also yeah. it also affected the way you played. Also, it, it affected a lot of the way <laughs> yeah. you played because mm-hmm. a lot of those times the bootlegs were were um louder. They were louder. Sounded sounded better. They were they were way better sounding. I played um, I want to be a lover in Lotus, and Prince was there, and Prince looked over at the booth mm-hmm. and saw that I was playing a bootleg. He was mm-hmm. like. That's not my record. <laughs> and I was like, no, I got your record. It's just that it's louder on this record. <laughs> he was like, yeah, we got to do something. We got to remaster that one day or whatever. You yeah, know what okay. I mean? like, Yeah. So that's, that's amazing. That's tough right there. So I, I want to ask about uh, kind of like you guys made to me one of the best old school mixtapes ever. Which was the glamorous life? Glamorous life. Yeah, and then and then I mean, before that, it was probably the Kid Capri old school joints, right? Mm-hmm. And but you guys actually put me on to a lot of '80s R&B that I'd never heard before. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it, to this day, I mean, Glamorous Life one, I probably listened to that so many fucking times, and I don't know how many other DJs got affected by that mixtape. And then you guys have a catalog of some of the most insane mixtapes ever. You know what I mean? But I want to talk about that one glamorous life. Yeah. And then you did one and then you did two. And two was dope, but to me, one is still just like a classic mixtape. But it's, I want to talk about the mixtapes a little bit. I know you guys sold a lot. I know like at some point that was like a large part of your business kind of. I don't, I, I would think it would be because well, we, well, had, guys, we like, had somebody working for us who was like doing product fulfillment, you know, who's, yeah, yeah. who's like taking CDs to the store three times a week. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to the um post office. to the post office three times a week. And then what, what, that glamorous life. I mean, I, I guess I never asked you guys this, but how far did you guys ship that mixtape out to other stores or anything like that? There's a cassette version of that yeah. that came out in Germany where a, like we we would sell them to distributors too. Like it wasn't it, you you wouldn't send like a box of a hundred to Japan or whatever. You would get a deal with a record store in Japan. Where yeah. you send them the master and the artwork, uh, and they would they would press it up, and then like, you know, Do you, you, you would hope hope that you would get your money up. For really, it. Yeah. Yeah. In in some cases, like distributors went out of business owing us ten thousand yeah. dollars, and oh, it's just oh, like, shit. well, I mean, it, but it's we don't it's own the masters. It's like, like it's, it's basically stores. Bootlegs. There's no way, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. you can collect. Yeah. To to think about making money <laughs> off of off of mixtapes now is just so laughable. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, it's so much has changed, but I don't even think they realize like some of the youth coming up. I don't think they realize where the name mixtape came from. Mm-hmm. Like they they refer yeah, they to it like an, an album. artist tape. 
yeah. it's almost like a, a demo album yeah. to yeah. people right now. It's who kids fault. Yeah, it's, it's, they call it a project. Everything's a project. Yeah, yeah I love your project. Yeah, well, yeah. that was a triple album by yeah, Sade. Really. That's not a project. Yeah, for real. For real. If you don't mind me asking, how did that break down the sales of the mixtapes? So, for example, how do you mean? Like, how would if you were going to order mixtapes, how many would you order? All right, just say if it's um, DJ Clue. All right, DJ Clue comes in before the weekend. We know we're probably going to sell hundred to two hundred CDs, or I mean, tapes yeah. or whatever like that. Um, if we sell it for ten, he'll more than likely get higher up, maybe six dollars because his shit was hot. Mm-hmm. I mean, like we was guaranteed to sell, so that the owner of the the store would be like, "This is guaranteed money," so I'll give you more because I know I'm gonna sell more. Yeah. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but everybody else would probably get like four dollars, like a four dollar um, range, right, that, right. that range, and that would be that. And most of it would be on consignment. So, so most of the times they would bring in. 15 20 on consignment sell them out then they'll get they'll get paid and then you bring 20 more and shit like so that so you just have to contact the dg you're like yo we need more of this we need this this that totally that. and then they'll have different you know different levels of they will have like usually a dj will have a hip-hop then he would do r&b yeah if he was good he would do a reggae too uh-huh, or he'll yeah. do like some type of blend or some type of specialty maybe a slow jam or a house yeah yeah so he would have a catalog of different types of things right. for that for that thing. So you would be like, all right, let me get five of those, let me get five of these, five of these, or ten of those. Mm-hmm. Hip hop is gonna sell better than this one. So, right, right. Yeah, that type of thing. I remember like going like I would go to eleven, I would go to your crib, and you would literally have like two shelves of just mixtapes, yeah, just ready to like. And would you just have a dude that just came by and like, yo, I need ten of this, five of this, and they we would go up to Harlem or go out to um like East New York with masters and. And the artwork and get them pressed up. Yeah. We would get them pressed up and then we would do the distribution. Some, wow. we had a couple distributors that we worked with, um, a couple overseas, a guy who was out in Jersey. Remember Rich King? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Rich, yeah. You know Rich. Totally. Um, totally. And then we had some folks on the West Coast. Um, so we would press them. And if it was domestic, we would ship them the product, the finished product. If uh-huh. it was overseas, we would sell them the master. If it was in New York, we would walk around with tapes and or CDs and and sell them. And it was it was a grind. Well, but it, that was the. I mean, how much of that business? I mean, I'm sure it was lucrative, but like, how much? I'm trying to ask, how much did that like? Was that like eighty percent of like you know? Was it like thirty percent DJ gigs and then like, you know, like seventy percent? Mixtapes, like, was it a bulk of your? Honestly, I don't no, remember. I don't, think, I don't so. think it was. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't that substantial. It wasn't like like Clue or somebody like that whose right. business was mixtapes. Right. No, um, yeah. it was. You know, it was what we were doing was way more niche than that. Like, it didn't. Yeah, yeah. There weren't a lot of dudes on Canal Street that were going to take it, uh-huh. but everyone on Canal Street had the new Clue tape. So, and it, it really was, depends on when you came out too. It's right. like whatever, what part of the era of mixtapes that you caught, because it was like three different tiers at, at some point. Mm-hmm. Like when Kick Capri was doing them, then when Kick Capri stopped, and then after Kick Capri, and then, you know, that, then the Clue era, right. you know what I mean? And then after the Clue era, mm-hmm. so it was like, it was different waves yeah. that really determined where your, your spacing was as far as money-wise and reach yeah. and everything else and mm-hmm. demand. And all yeah. there, was a, there was another thing, too, that um, there were guys that would go around and sell the, um, sell the master, uh, CD master two spots. Right. And it it wasn't just like a spot on Canal Street where somebody's out on the street or or 
at at like a um smoke shop or some shit that's known to sell mixtapes. Yeah. And for those, they would kind of project what they're going to sell, but there's no accounting or anything. No. And they would sell a, a, a CDR master for, you know, $300, not knowing if they were going to sell 300 copies of it or 40 copies of it or 1,000 copies of it. But it was just this kind of mafia shit where it's like, um, you know, I can... Uh, Sorry, my alarm just went off. I need to go sell some mixtapes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, yeah, but 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 they would, uh, w- b- because CDs were like lossless, so yeah, you yeah. did you didn't have to have the quality control of of cassettes where you you needed to have like a legit place that you could do it with consumer electronics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it, was it even then still more of a marketing tool to get your name out there? It was a combination. combination. Some of them were were very profitable. Some of them were. Yeah, you know, we made enough money to cover the pressing, and then had a bunch of them to use to get gigs. Because you guys would get like some of the cool cards. because of the mixtapes and the catalog that you guys had. You guys had more of like the corporate, you know, like the corporate guys would be behind you guys, like saying like, "Yo, I, you know, we love your mixtapes, and we want to book this dude for." Yeah, corporate the out of town shit came from the mixtapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think being on Turntable Lab, you know, uh, specifically gave us a visibility in places like Calgary mm-hmm. where other DJs didn't know that there's a market there. Right, right. But we would get brought out there because they, you know, because those guys were also buying the records from Turntable Lab and their needles from Turntable Lab so they would get the mixtapes. And um, it, it, there's all these weird places like Pockets, like in, in Scandinavia, we would go out and do like six cities in, in uh, Sweden, Norway, and Finland where it, you know it it was specifically because of the visibility that we got off of those those tapes being on turntable app. What is the is the biggest uh, I guess response and the biggest critical acclaim you guys have gotten? Was it from the motherfucking remix? Because you were yeah, I think so. Yeah, and that was like the most that was the most that you guys like it kind of catapulted the party even the the rub because it was like the rub presents the motherfucking remix and yeah and everything it, right yeah the party had been had been continually building it was in a really good place and then yeah, yeah. that that project and we did a really that was the first project that we did a heavy uh press push on it right like we did i was working in rockets at the time and had access to all of their promo lists yeah, yeah. so we we treated it like it was an album and we we worked it to press um, it got like a big write-ups i remember yeah, yeah it got a lot of it got a lot of really good shine which then uh came back on the party and then the party got a bunch of good shine then it just like w- you know we'd created this this avalanche and mm-hmm. we were able, able to ride it and each it's motherfucking remix and each individual project built on it right i think it did sort of create a weird uh, expectation for what our DJs sets were going to be like for when sure. we went out of town that where they weren't exactly like yeah. <laughs> like that um, and there were combinations of, of us DJing so like if you get me and Cosmo DJing uh, at a party it's going to be really different from how me and Eleven DJ at a party which is going to be different from how Eleven and Cosmo and, and that's like you know from technical shit to like the, the way that Eleven DJs when he's dropping a hundred records in 60 minutes like there's not room for me to get in there with an acapella mm-hmm. you know there's there's not an open place in in that for an acapella we, you know whereas cosmo and i uh we go up up tempo and and be looser and mash things up for longer and 
play weirder and stuff, but it w- it was never exactly like that thing. And I think that um, Holotronics experienced that too, where they ha- where they had that never scared mix that compressed. Here's here's everything that we play in six hours into seventy minutes. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you know, you, then you go to a Holotronics party. It's like, oh well, they're letting the records play for longer. They're not doing as right, many right, mashups right, right. and all this shit. It's like, well, that's you know, that's because it. It's real life, and they've got to fill up four hours or five hours or six hours yeah, or whatever. Yeah. It's going to be different from that. Quick story: Eli Escobar was just here, and he just he was uh, in Europe, and you know, obviously they know him for disco, and then he was just feeling it, and he just started playing hip hop and reggae, uh-huh. and then you know, people were just like, "What the fuck?" And some <laughs> some people were like booing, but he was so like drunk and in the moment, he just ignored them. But yeah, that expectation of what you produce and how you DJ is just like completely different. Yeah. And then when you guys uh. So with with the rub that you guys with the party that you guys had, and then with that mixtape, did the crowd start changing? Because um, you guys got started getting bigger and bigger, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's continually evolved. Um, yeah, there wasn't a clear time that was like, oh shit, this put us into this different this different level or category that's bringing us a totally different crowd. Right. That never exactly happened. Because by the time the motherfucking remix came out, I was in Vegas. And I wasn't yeah. aware of what happened to the rub, how it evolved or changed after that, which was at like end of 2005. So let's just say 2006. Mm-hmm. And then when I knew the rub in the early state, early 2000s, it was literally like a reggae hip hop party and classics. Yeah, and then by the time I left, I didn't know if it changed to like where you guys were playing more rock or like mixing it up. You know what I mean, and doing more different shit. And if you think about that, that's also when EDM right started uh-huh. coming out. Um, and Holotronics was kind of, and Diplo were kind of they're kind of yeah, I guess with MIA going on with Diplo and Baltimore Club and Baltimore was Club big. evolving. Yeah. yeah, everything was changing by then. And right? then Houston rap was coming out like chopped and screwed shit was suddenly like a, a a viable thing where you would hear these really slow records in the club when they you know before that like it, it's crazy to say now but like a, a 70 BPM 65 B, BPM record was right. a slow jam it wasn't you know it wasn't like a bounced record no, or whatever no. No. uh and it yeah so there was there was all this stuff that was changing at the same time that what was like the real the real song that really pushed it was it still tipping yeah probably yeah and then it was the whole so Mike Jones Mike Jones yeah and yeah, yeah. But that's still tipping. That was such a huge record, but we had nothing else to go around it, right? Nah. Mm-hmm. People were playing it with like UK grime and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, yeah, there, yeah. there was there was other shit at that tempo, but it the but Dead it Prez wasn't. Record? Huh? The Dead, Dead Prez. Prez record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the R&B, yeah. like Sierra and shit like that, when yeah. it was out. Oh, mm-hmm. like ludicrous shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 and Ride. Yeah. It was definitely like in the beginning stages. Like I remember what in, in the early two thousands, Laffy Taffy came out. 2005. 2005? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. So, like, I dropped that and I'd be like, fuck, I don't really know where to go. Like, yeah, like yeah. maybe go to country grammar. Like, just kind of ease that, <laughs> ease up into that shit. Yeah. And we were just, like, kind of stuck. And now, obviously. Genres were changing so fast, like, what was on trend at that point. It, yeah. was, it was just like every year there was, there was a different thing that you were expected to integrate into and a, into yeah. a mm-hmm. hip hop yeah. set. Like, very, very true. Now, hip hop is like, in- inclusive you know of this stuff that um that's like great on the internet but might not necessarily work in a party yeah yeah you know yeah with with you guys and the and the rub when i left 
it did it start becoming more of like an electro party at, at some point or, or no it didn't work like that people at that point thought of it as a hip-hop party and you, that you could you could do like a house set uh-huh. but um you know it was like paul johnson get get down right and uh and some baltimore club like you were talking about and some fidget house and shit but it it it, it wasn't like justice electro right, just right. like you know for, wasn't for like a banana, shirt off kind wasn't of like a banana split party no. i mean it just it there, there wasn't that much cocaine <laughs> you know like it, it was it was still a beer drinking party like there there was cocaine but right. it, but it wasn't like where you would go to get your picture taken but it's also the fact coke. that it was in brooklyn and it had the hip-hop roots it was in new york so you had to kind of like people wanted you had to kind of keep it like that and that, what, i mean that's still fundamentally what where we came from right and it's you know our our tastes have evolved as music has evolved and we try and bring in different things to keep the party interesting to keep ourselves interesting mm-hmm. but like you know how when did you start the when did you start the party july 2002 2002 yeah. so you guys are in basically like 17 years yeah yeah 17 years into it mm-hmm. and in, in that time how has it evolved and just seeing a party and keeping a party alive for 17 years damn near 20 years mm-hmm. like how does that involve how i mean how does how does it evolve and how much control do you have in the evolution because i feel like nowadays the way a dj has to come up now is starting their own party mm-hmm. and then you know we're seeing examples in ellie escobar you know uh goalie we were just talking about ellie escobar with tiki disco mm-hmm. and in momo with dance 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 and everyday people it's like and I'm seeing it with all these other DJs. There's not enough venues for these for all these DJs to come out, and there's not like that that recipe back in the day of the promoter DJ team that would be like the promoter would sell the party and and book everything, and then the DJ would be with the promoter. So now I've been telling younger DJs who are super talented, like, don't be at the mercy of a nightclub and try to book a Vegas party. Like, be like create the rub in your city create the everyday people in your city have your own following and then you could do whatever party you want and through social media everyone will gravitate it they'll go to that city they'll be like i have to go to that guy's party and then there might be opportunities for you to team up with other other people in other cities Mm -hmm. but with you guys having done it for 17 years how do you keep that going and how do you like you know what have you seen and what was the hardest time and what was the hardest years where you were going through? And, and, you know and please I mean? touch on moving from Park Slope to Gowanus too. Yeah, yeah. Right. I think I think it was a bunch of different things that you guys referred to. Part of is um, losing our third partner, our third partner leaving, changing venues, nightlife in New York changing, heirs right. having kids, South Park, me going to grad school. South like, Park closed, right? Yeah, it closed uh, just over seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, I mean, there's a, the answer is that it's required a lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, we, we spend a lot of time on it. We, uh, yeah, we're always tinkering with it. There's some things that we figured out how to keep it fresh and some that we just have stayed banging our head against the wall. But mm-hmm. you know, the, the goal remains the same to have a, a good accessible, non-pretentious party in Brooklyn that we would go to, that we want to keep being sort of the center point of our DJ lives. And right. it's like that that 
moves a little left and a little right mm-hmm. um, over the years, but like that that sort of vision remains constant. Yeah, I mean, something that helps us tremendously, and and I know that MoMA uh, is in the same place is is uh, having uh, having guest DJs come in who you can who who will take the temperature with different um with different records right so you can you can see stuff that you might not have tried like really kill and then you can see somebody cut off uh bbd poison after the intro and be like okay nobody should ever do that that was <laughs> like that was a terrible idea like right. you know somebody who's right. been doing it for 17 years wouldn't do that right. you know but maybe that guy who did that played a um a Destiny's Child record that I wouldn't have thought to do, or, or like Prime Time went just into the slowest of the slow jams, like w- Grind With Me, Pretty Ricky, or something, right. and mm-hmm. and have people completely erupt. And um, I mean, th- that that's kept it fresh for us, and like kind of kept it um, the having that interchange between our experience and 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 the interest that we have in new records and in pushing things further you know and seeing if that works or not but like definitely watching other people and what they do uh it is uh is you know it's something where like they're our guests and they're going to come back in in two years or whatever but i can bring pretty ricky grind with me back out the next next time i I played and like just touring was like that for yeah. sure and it and it's not like you would hear somebody do a transition and come back and like i'm gonna i'm gonna steal his setup and his punchline, but like you 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 do know that like here's something that we could be doing that we aren't that makes it really fresh and then you know playing in harlem and and seeing like oh wow people are responding to this thing or, or like playing an all-ages party and playing in front of a bunch of teenagers uh, and and drop in something that seems you know either like a novelty or something really sort of random and old, but it's but um, people who are who are teenagers now are really into new edition for some reason, and it's because of TikTok or Vine or some you know like, like there's some kind of meme that everybody got on new edition, but like they I had have the miniseries. So that had a lot to do with it. Yeah. They, did, they did the story about them. So right. Right. that yeah. had a lot to yeah. do with it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I mean like fifth graders yeah. who, who know the shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the, in a way that like, uh, I think that if, if we were just doing one thing and, you know, and like yeah. not bringing in guests and not, uh, sort of soaking up other people's. Yeah swagger a little bit like uh it it gives us a little uh, a little extra that that we can do to keep it fresh for us to keep us excited about it because i mean that like that's the danger is getting locked into like Mm -hmm. oh i know that this worked this time and and then you and then you look at your crates and like oh wow okay this crate is like six years old and i've just been adding and adding and adding to it and not really thinking about like i need to take all this other shit out yeah yeah definitely i i think it's funny how like we all have this huge catalog as we get older it gets we you know it starts piling up piling up piling up and then the this new generation starts coming up and they don't know any of the songs and now they're all learning it from memes or tv shows or social media and it's like the bobby brown story comes out and now i'm like okay let's see how are there going to be memes out there oh everyone's watching this shit it's all over twitter it's all over instagram i can start bringing back some bobby brown records 
And then motherfuckers are going to know that shit. Right. Oh, shit. There's a movie on Queen coming out. Oh, shit. Like, let's see how that does. Yeah. Oh, shit. Now I can start playing some Queen shit. Mm-hmm. I got exactly. like, I got girls coming. So it's like my whole, I have all this catalog of music. And then you just kind of like, oh, this was out of style. And then, oh, shit. It came back because of a movie, a movie, a, a meme, a TV show, a, social, yeah. a tweet. Or, Bruno Mars record, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or celebrity like dancing right. yeah. with their Tribute kids, or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Or somebody dies. Unfortunately, yeah. yes, yeah. death. Yeah. Yeah. Shout, out, shout out to the, the young Bowl. DJs who are yeah. students of the game. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, people like DZA and stuff like that. Who's yeah, like early twenties and they actually know the whole history of the music. Mm-hmm. You know? it's very rare though, right? It's definitely more like the exception. He might be one of the the last. Probably that age group might be the last breed. Was he on vinyl ever, DZA? I don't know. Shout to Desert in Miami, by the way. Great, he has a great party too. His own party, Peach which Fuzz. Is Peach Fuzz, Peach Fuzz. Right. and that seems to be the wave right now. The you wave, know what I mean? Uh, so Super Sam has a party. One four three, right? They're touring the country, playing yeah. like good music, R and B, and mostly vibes. You know what I mean? Originals, yeah. Clark Kent, D Nice, Tony yeah. Touch, Richard Dina. That's Stretch right. Yeah. yeah. D Nice. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's right? just the way to. That's. It seems like the way to go because. It seems like the nightclubs almost lost they, they lost touch and they stopped listening to the DJs, right? Right. They so have. the DJs were forced to like kind of create their own parties. Yeah. I mean they also the stretch strong, my bad. There yeah, was, I mentioned stretch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there were there was also a stretch where they were putting in a, a bunch of different like just throwing and, and and you had to see a lot of this in Vegas and and probably a lot less now. But just throwing a bunch of random like you this is the guy from Entourage and like he decided he's gonna DJ now mm-hmm. and so we're going to, you know, and, and he has uh, a million people following him on Instagram, so he can get a bunch of people uh, into, a, uh, into a casino nightclub. Right. And, uh, and they're, and they're going to rock with him or whatever. But then, like, it, it becomes like a walkthrough or something mm-hmm. where people aren't there for music. They're just to see this guy. Uh, so that th- I think that people are realizing that now with kind of the, the Instagram influencers, seeing them... To, uh, and Mo probably knows more about this than I do, but but seeing them get in a in a live context and then just like fall on their face, oh, you yeah. know, where like you you can't put them on for more than twenty minutes. But and, and I think the reason why the nightclubs are suffering is because when they made that conscious decision to just go after like the influence and and the followers and the likes, that's when they started disrespecting the art form of DJing. And so mm-hmm. when they did, because you, you know, party goers they can disrespect the DJ. They're like, hey, play my song, blah blah blah. We used to that. But once the institution mm-hmm. can I rap? Uh, once the institution <laughs> of the that. nightclubs started disrespecting the art form, then it was just always going to end up where it's at now. You know, when no one knows what the fuck is going on, right? And, and then it's even worse when they don't keep up the equipment. It's like you know, yeah. it's whatever. It's the DJ is not. It's an afterthought. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's the people, the girls, the the this, the door, the bar, the this, the bathroom attendant. Then you know what I mean. Then over. We didn't book a DJ. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that. It's an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if you're going to have DJs come in and pay for $200, then they can afford to play the 20 records. And then the next two hours, have another guy come in and play the same 20 Three records. records yeah. mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and you I can have that's that. Why I think people right now are happy to pay $20 for an experience like the rub. Like everyday people, like Tiki Disco, like One Four Three, like Peach yeah. Fuzz, and those are the ones that are gonna maintain. That's why we're here, seventeen years later. What do you guys think about also the fact that, like I was saying this about New York, there is no more weekday parties. There's and there's no more residencies. So like, if you go to Vegas, 
There isn't like this DJ is here every Friday, setting the tone every Friday for the whole year on how that that Friday is at that club. And that's and like it, a tent pole for what your experience is going to be like on right. Thursday and on Saturday. Yeah, stage venues kind of fuck that up. So what? Yeah. So what like happens where we, now? Where yeah. we do the rub, they um, you know the Friday night is is a comedy show. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's not a place that's known for dance music. I mean it. It means that there's less competition because you're not having to, you know, it, it's not that Williamsburg thing of like, um, the, we're opening a brand new nightclub that has the same techno music four nights in a row every mm-hmm. week with different names on it. And maybe the flyer looks a little bit different, but, right. you know, so so by, by Friday, people are already burned out and you're not going to get their money or they're just going to wait for whatever the biggest name is that week. Get but that there's out. not that happy middle place of like, we know that Nels is, you know. But it, except for their house night or whatever, like Nels is going to have good hip hop right. every night of the week. It's just different people playing it, so it's a little bit different. But it, um, I mean, that the clubs were smaller then too, though, right? Like, no, they um, have bigger clubs that were doing it. It's just that the rent and stuff, uh, you know, just the <clears throat> the the dynamics of New York has changed so much. Yeah, that's and true. Maybe sure. you probably see it different because you are both are transplants. But from a New Yorker standpoint, it's like. They pushed New Yorkers out. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean. So it's like the 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 feeling of going to certain places that would have been stables, like the SOBs or um, what was that spot that um, CBGBs for mm-hmm. if you wanted rock. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. You know, it's an institution, but they got pushed out because of wetlands. fucking real estate, wetlands, yeah. wetlands. You know, yeah. shelter, shit mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. It's like these are places that yeah. are holy grails for music, not just for hip hop. Just for music, yeah. And because of the dynamics of the city, you know, it's done with. You know what I mean? And so, yeah. hip hop is no no different. It's gonna you know it's gonna go through those same type of things as well. Like there are no hip hop clubs in New York. There's strip clubs. There's you know there's restaurants that let you play hip hop. You know what I mean? There's lounges, but there are no clubs. Yeah, that's and that true. was. The staple of pushing the music forward, mm-hmm. and especially with New York hip hop, because that's where you kind of it was like a farm system. You came there, you 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 built your chops up, and if you got a record and you got one of the guys that were actually in the clubs to play your record, it gave you that, hey, it's okay, or this is good, or you see how your record reacted, you know, and and you you found the weight of how you can elevate. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, he he was on it for a little while. I gotta come with something better to get that reaction that he's playing with. And then the city be, city gets behind it. You know, the what I mean? city gets yeah. behind it because you're you're visible and you're there. Mm-hmm. And and now it's a communication. Yo, I went to the club. I saw him DJ. He actually spun it. I'm gonna give yeah. it a try. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then that's how you get that synergy of mm-hmm. pushing the music. But it's also having a relationship, which I think is important. Like even in New York, I don't know where DJs are gonna be because every night. It could be like one club. Their Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Wednesday DJ is totally different from the next week. And then totally. the next week, whereas before I would know like, yo, Goldfinger's there Friday. But if that, Soul is there Sunday. Yeah. This guy's there that way, that night. So you knew like what to expect, like the way, you know, eleven like you know what I'm saying? Like there was an identity to the night. Now it's just like everyone's just kind of like scattered around. You don't know if it's gonna be what and the guy, even the artists don't know who's going to be at the club. So they're not going to bring their record over and be like, oh, I don't know that dude. I, he's not going to play my shit. He don't know me. Right. As opposed to like 
when you there know was like, he was gonna yeah, go to that spot. You know, like yo, Goldfinger's there every Friday. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna give him my record. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you knew like his crowd was gonna be there, and like I, it's important that he plays this record for that crowd because I know exactly what that crowd is. Right. It's like we don't have that no more. Well, even, the, and the, even the, in the Vegas, spaces don't have that identity yeah. anymore. So, so and it's, that's it, why it's so scary. It happened in Vegas, and yeah. it's one of those things that like I remember. There used to be like yo, there was uh, you know Mondays where I jet or excess sundays were body english and blah 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 yeah but now like the djs are all scattered you know vice used to be every sunday at body body english you know what i mean i used to be every monday at jet Mm -hmm. you know thursday uh never was at light every thursday and it was like an identity to the shit Mm -hmm. and even when people came into the town i'd be like yo oh you here thursday through sunday well you got to check never on thursday Mm -hmm. you got to check this dude yo you haven't heard this dude and the only club that's doing that is this one hip-hop club called Dre's, mm-hmm. yeah, and they have one resident there, mm-hmm. Franzen, yeah, and it's a hip hop club, and he set the tone so perfectly. Shout to Franzen. What's his night? Uh, it's every it's night. Every night, night. man. <laughs> every night. Every night. Well, Thursday, Friday, no, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday, Saturday, wow. and Sunday. And Thursday, they usually have a guest DJ. Um, who's it? Esco, DJ Esco. Sometimes DJ yeah. Esco, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And but I mean, Fe- he's become Futures? yeah, future DJ. Huh? Okay. So he's there, but he's like, it's literally almost like he's, it's his club and he's like, he's hosting it. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, and it's, it's insane. Like Friday would be like, you know, T.I., Saturday would be Nelly and then. Yeah, Sunday and would be maybe Migos or. No, uh, Sunday would just be Franzen. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. But th- that Sunday party has become like the live Sundays. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. the, just no, go, knowing if I come to Vegas and I want hip hop, I usually just send them there. Like, yo, you want hip hop? Go, go to Trace, man. Yeah. And it says a lot to when you have like an identity like that because if I know, oh shit, the week is coming up, the rub party, do you know that what you're going to get? You know it's going to be a stable party. You know that the vibe is going to be there. And if you got somebody in town from out of town, boom. You know what right. I mean? And it mm-hmm. still represents what the city is about. Mm-hmm. The tenants. You know, mm-hmm. the, the actual culture of what, you know, what we stand for. And it's like, if you have now, if you go to the city, it's like, where are these guys from? Like, you have no yeah. idea, you know what I mean? What the story is, yep. what the right. connection is to the city. These, you don't even know if they're from the city. To I tell mean, that's, the that's as true just walking around the streets of Manhattan. Yeah. But it never was like that. Sure. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. It had an uh, uh, aesthetic to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah I, then, think, I mean, there was a change when night nightclubs and nightclub owners were from the nightlife to now where they're just food and beverage operators. Right. Mm. They're literally yeah. just food and beverage operators. And they're investors. And they're, inv- and they're looking to move cases mm-hmm. and flip real estate. I mean, mm-hmm. it's... I, I yeah, think, like, yeah. one of the like the greatest things is, like, uh, you know, me being able to tell somebody, uh, you know, a friend, going, like, they're going to Vegas, they're going to West Coast. Yo, I saw that uh, video, uh, your Instagram story of everyday people. I like when is that? Yo, it's every it's every month in LA or go to New York. Like here's their here's their you know, here's their uh you know, calendar and stuff like that. And it's just that that consistency of like, yo, it's the summertime, go to if you're in LA you gotta go to this party and blah 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 blah. You know what I mean? But just having that consistency is is even for something like you your guys' party the rub, you know, on Saturdays and everyday people on Sundays and stuff in LA and having that consistency is important just because people have it's something to like it's to tell to talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. As opposed to like, if I had one good night at this one club, 
that never was DJing at, and he's never he's not going to be there for another two months. Mm-hmm. Like, how does that help anything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Right. Like, and then it's like, well, yeah, never did a great job. We'll bring him back. Like, we'll give him a a bi monthly residency. Well, like, how does that shape anything for your club? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and that's to me that's the difference in 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 what what's going on in a lot of nightclubs right now. Mm-hmm. But obviously, there's an oversaturation of DJs and stuff like that. So when you guys are actually doing the rub and keeping like a sound consistent, like a consistent like sound or a soundtrack to the night, yeah. Do you guys? How do you guys like try out new DJs? We have a front room. We have a secondary smaller room, and so we can. That's have like the test room, kind of. And it's, it's, it's super fun the, to play. It's yeah. kind of the test room, but super it's also kind of just like. It, you, the pe- they're not playing for 800 people in there. They, you know, they're playing so the- for 150, so they can take chances on stuff. Uh-huh. And you can see, like, see, almost like you can see who they are. You know what I mean? Like, you can you can really get a, a sense for like, not them getting up on the stage and trying to do what we do. You know, but like, right. it, it, and and you can you can also see like, how many people came for them like came mm-hmm. from their other party right. and follow them around the city and and go to their you know go to their Thursday night and go to their Saturday night in a different club and you can see like also how many people who who are in the room who have no idea who this guy is uh rock with them and, and stay in that room with them and be like okay like this it, it, it um it, you take a little bit less of a chance on it because it's like you know it's uh it's not the overflow room because it's super fun but it's uh it if you if you lose that room for a little while you can get it back if you lose the big room yeah right you know it's it's like a little stressful playing in the big room versus in, in the smaller room like okay well, like maybe you know maybe 20 people came in here to get a drink a little faster and then went to the other room didn't like what they're playing come back right, whatever right. Mm-hmm. uh but yeah that that that's the best way to me or, or go see or go to their club like go to go to their night their like branded night that they do what they do and see them there are you extensively going out to like recruit or see other djs that you can bring in we not have a, we have a team <laughs> <laughs> it's called instagram <laughs> uh we we do some not as much as we should we have a yeah. bunch of people who's um, who are out more than we are who we look to for input yeah um mm-hmm. so I mean, we try and we ask people who know the party, who know the rub, who would be good, and if, and then we sort of run yeah. it down from there. Quick yeah. question, quick question. Yeah. Um, you guys started in 2002 with the party. Now, was this in response to the 9-11 thing happening? Not- Kind of in response to bottle service. Yeah, it was more. It was more about how Manhattan nightlife started changing when the sales of bottles were driving the business. Like it's, it just didn't feel like what we thought of New York nightlife being. Okay, it's, what parties it, were you referring to? Let me guess. Well, no, just how you remember how dress codes were back then when there was clubs that you used to right. be able to get into in right. the in, in the eighties and nineties right. that in the two thousands right. you couldn't get into. Right. Uh at the same time it was when iPods were out and so you would have uh you would you would have nightclubs that used to have DJs that would that would play records. They would bring somebody in uh and they would just play songs off of an iPod and everybody would smoke cigarettes and listen to the strokes or something where like mm-hmm. you know, two or three years before that was unthinkable. Um it was also during the time that when Manhattan was really cracking down on the cabaret laws, uh, because it was coming out of Giuliani and Bloomberg, where you would be DJing 
and all of a sudden a little red light bulb would turn on in the booth <laughs> and you would turn it down you would turn the the gain down from 10 yeah. to right. 2 yeah. and wait and crooked i know that you yeah. experienced that playing in lounges <laughs> in midtown where they're they're selling bottles so they might be making more money uh-huh. than than we're making in in brooklyn at a club with twice as many people there yeah but like the vibe is fucked up when when you had to turn the turn the volume down yeah. to two, and everybody just knew and understood that they would wait. Mm-hmm. The cops would leave, turn turn it back up to ten, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and like start playing a fifty cent record again, and like really try to get it, get it back, back and get it, it going. Yeah. Yeah. But in Brooklyn, you didn't have to do that, and we our our friend owned a nightclub and like wanted us to do it, and all of these people realized, oh, we don't have to, we don't have to go to the city and deal with all this bullshit of like. I can't wear sneakers can't wear a hat like have to bring three girls with me have to um get a table y- you know yes yeah, spend yeah. three hundred dollars and right. commit to a bottle and all this bullshit like because i know like we after were, 9-11 it was like manhattan and then it was a time where you really didn't go into Manhattan for a little while yeah. and people were looking for alternatives but they still wanted to go out they still wanted to have some type of release and i remember like when your guys started to party it was like yo, dope party in brooklyn dope party in brooklyn dope party in brooklyn and it was almost foreign yeah, because it was mm-hmm. like in Brooklyn for yeah. real. Yeah, like, people yeah. weren't going out in Brooklyn. There were yeah, people like, no, that's was, too it was, far. It was like it's Park Slope. If you were in Brooklyn, <laughs> you were kind of like, and I live in Park Slope, so I knew yeah. exactly where it was at and how I was going. Yeah. and it would be like, yeah, that party is happening, but people are actually coming from other places to to this spot, really. Yeah. And it was yeah. like foreign. Yeah, I mean, part of the thing too then was that people weren't coming from other places. Like what you wanted was all these people who lived in Brooklyn going to a party in Brooklyn and not having all the people that moved to Manhattan to work for Citibank or work for an advertising agency Mm -hmm. or work for an internet startup or where the fuck was popping off in 2000, 2001. Like you didn't have all those people coming out there. But I mean, like Stingers in South Williamsburg was consistently popping and had like good hip hop and reggae DJs. There were certain spots like uh, Level X People used to, yeah. they, they had hip-hop DJs. They were, uh, they were few and far between, though. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't remember any of them. None of them have much of a lasting impact, but they, no. they sort of filled that niche at that time. Yeah, because um, there would be like a stabbing outside. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and it, would get, it would get shut down. Yeah. Um, but, but, I mean, for us, what it was was we were going to see hip-hop DJs playing, uh, you know, like go, going to see you play. And really liked what you were doing, and also really liked uh, what was going on at like APT, mm-hmm. where they were where they were playing deeper, weirder uh, garage classics and and new well, house music and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, and and getting both, you know, like be, being able to do both of those things throughout the night, so that you can kind of get everybody under one roof. Yeah, you know, and and you give them some sugar and also like give you know make them read a book for a little while too yeah totally did you experience because you bring up 9-11 a lot did you experience a weird change in the city with 9-11 with nightlife because what i experienced in nightlife after 9-11 was just the emergence of bottle service no it, know? It, it, it had a ripple effect because it was weird because i was still doing retail at the time yeah so what was happening was it was that a lot of people were taking mental notes of is this really important for me like right now it's like it was yeah. like mm-hmm. everybody did a little bit of right. self-examination right. Mm-hmm. after it happened you know what i mean like 
do I do I really need to do this? Do I really need to buy this? What's really important? Right. And it just set everybody's priorities up a little bit different. So when people started really trying to go back out, you know, the vibe was different. And then like he was saying about the laws with Giuliani and all this other stuff like that, mm-hmm. it was certain type of things like the smoking and all these like little bullshit laws were just like right, nagging. Right, right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just nagging in the background. And I think that people just needed to be able to get out and release. And Manhattan just started to become very constrictive. Right, like, right. Mm-hmm. Just yeah. with just little nagging stuff. Just like, yeah. oh yeah, well you can't wear this and oh we need a dress code for this and no sneakers and and um we need your card before you come in and you know, yeah, yeah. little just little bullshit and just it, it just seemed like it spawned people just going a different direction and yep. they're like, mm-hmm. you know what, fuck this. I'll do a small lounge, no big clubs for me no more. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. I'm going out to this restaurant over here, having dinner. And then for the new crop of people, when your guys were doing the new parties, the new right. energy was there. They, they went to Brooklyn. They went mm-hmm. to Williamsburg. They went to different At that places. time, yeah. too, clubs started opening and closing all the fucking time. Places would, would get rebranded so frequently to where there wasn't you know, like there wasn't a consistent identity in a place because if it if it didn't do bottles, they would take all the furniture out of it, put a different name on the front of it, get different DJs in there. Maybe, maybe not even. You know what I mean? But but there was there was this uh, you know like gentrification, especially of mid-sized rooms, where there well, was, there a lot wasn't of the rebranding came from because if if it was a party that you were kind of getting, or if it was certain certain venues wouldn't allow you to be in those venues so a lot of those venues that were either closed down or reopened it was like they only reopened it because this is the only spot we were going to be able to get into Mm -hmm. you know what i mean so it was almost out of necessity that you kind of had to put a little sugar and shit to a certain degree to kind of like make it look a little something just so you can be there you know what i mean yeah as a as brooklyn started changing right when did brooklyn start really changing and what year? Because I I was in me and Neville were in Vegas. Yeah. But I, I I forgot maybe like two three years ago, I went to Williamsburg and the shit looked like Portland. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, what the fuck is going on here? And it just looked really weird. There were like you know motherfuckers with like uh, what do you call those the the like the curled up mustache. <laughs> call the, it the the Raleigh finger yeah, Raleigh handlebar mustache. Hey, hey, hey. No Raleigh finger slander. Yeah yeah, yeah I saw. <laughs> <laughs> no Raleigh figures what do you call it the curly mustache the curly yeah the handlebars the handlebar mustache the MC Escher <laughs> I started seeing motherfuckers with like the, the, the yeah the, the curly mustaches and they were like making specialty ice cream and I'm like what the fuck is this what the fuck's going on over here yeah, and I mean, I, and that, then, that's been going on for like 15 years people really? For, people forget though that Brooklyn is has 3 million people that live in it and if you live in in bed style, like there, there's definitely some fancier, more expensive coffee places here, but it's not fucking Williamsburg. Nah, you I know see, what I mean? And like South Slope, and th- 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 those places are slowly changing. But yeah, the gentrification of like of Williamsburg is that it it looks like Manhattan now, so and uh, people don't you know those people yeah, yeah. don't go out in Man- they don't even go out in Williamsburg they, they go to Bushwick yeah. so what was that time when Sex in the City like what was that 90s late 90s uh, mid, yeah, mid to late 90s mid to late 90s you had like a bunch of shorties from like you know Long Island or like outside of like New York that wanted to move to New York and they wanted to be the Sex in the City girls 
They wanted to live yeah. in Manhattan, mm-hmm. go out to nightclubs, wear like, like you know, high heels, like you know, like you know, stilettos and mm-hmm. like short dresses, and they wanted to be about that club life and drink Cosmopolitans, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it like this Brooklyn shit happened, and everything changed in Brooklyn. And I want to know, like, wh- when did that really start happening? Well, the reality was when they wanted to sip the Cosmos and the meatpacking, they found out that the meatpacking was way, way too, too much. Too expensive. Yeah. So mm-hmm. they was like, you know what? I think I can stick it out here in Bushwick. I think I can stick it out in this nice little right. flat here. Mm-hmm. And then it just became a destination place of affordability. Mm-hmm. And then you go into these neighborhoods and then it's just like, oh, shit, I can actually live here. Like, yeah. it's just not bad. Mm-hmm. And then the influx adds to more opportunities and everybody because brooklyn almost became a like uh like a refugee camp for motherfuckers who weren't from new york right they just all kind of all the transplants started going to brooklyn am i wrong yeah i mean is that a wrong way to say that early 2000s you got the influx (laughs) the sex in the city martini sipping they headed to manhattan yeah and then manhattan was full more overpriced than it already was in the second half of the 2000s that's when really this Brooklyn change started happening. And by 2010, the vast majority of those neighborhoods in Brooklyn, Williamsburg, you know, Fort Greene, Clinton yeah. Hill, Brooklyn Heights, they became unaffordable, almost almost, almost like Manhattan. Yeah. Almost yeah. like Manhattan. And now some of them are, I think, more expensive. Wait, wait Dumbo more. is more no, sure, no, no, expensive no. Park than Park Slope, downtown Brooklyn, yeah. all of that stuff is way more. That's actually the most expensive places to live in America at this point. This Here in San Francisco, maybe. That's crazy. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? San Francisco yeah. for sure. Yeah. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. But a lot of people left after 9-11. It was a nice little wave of people that just was like, yo, fuck New York. I'm and, getting the fuck out of here. And after the financial crash. Oh, in totally. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Seven yeah. and eight. Yeah. That had like a lot it, to do with it as well. The quality of the city changed yeah, a lot, lot of, for lot, the better. A lot to do with it. A lot to do with it. So then with all of these changes that happened in Brooklyn and your party really, like you said, when you guys started that party, in 2002 it was brooklyn people finding a place to to go in brooklyn it was and a it, brooklyn party it was a brooklyn party it was a right? party because i remember like djing that party and like when you played biggie or any brooklyn shit or had brooklyn anywhere in like a brooklyn word in the fucking song like the crowd would go fucking crazy mm-hmm. like yeah, i remember just playing Brooklyn dodgers and motherfuckers screaming and i was just like yo this is Brooklyn dodgers and motherfuckers are screaming this shit but like <laughs> It was just weird to me. And then now with Brooklyn changing and becoming like, you know, this kind of hub for like uh, New York transplants or is it implants? What do you call them? Transplants. 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 (laughs) Implants. (laughs) Like, you know, it becoming this hub for all of these out of towners to stay in. How has that affected your has? It's definitely affected your party, probably. Right. The people who attend. This is the most leading question like you're trying you're trying so hard to bring it back around to this idea that you have yeah of, of of like how new york is i think that that's i think that that's true for like tiki disco there's mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that moved to bushwick 10 years ago where the first djs that they ever saw yeah were were andy pry and ellie and lloydsky right and so that they think that the way that those guys dj which to us is like really cool and that we would love to do right it's just normal you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They think that like Donna Summer being a peak record of the night is like how parties go. I right. mean, they, they understand that it's special and that they don't get that level of like, you know, de- that level of DJing and and, uh, mm-hmm. and that quality of music other places. 
but but that's also like completely normalized to people out there. I don't think that that's the case in Park Slope, and I don't think that it's the case like where we are now in Gowanus. Um, th- those neighborhoods have slowly changed, but the, the the people who are at our party don't look that different than the people who were coming to our party 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it stayed pretty consistent. Um, yeah, but and, and and it didn't like like I was talking about with Electro, like it didn't really follow those trends as much in the way you know mm-hmm. that um, other places that have kind of come and gone did. It's weird because I see some of the changes in this in the city, like you know Mo, and and you can interject at any time because I don't really go to like to. I mean, I haven't gone to a party in Brooklyn in a while. You know what I'm saying. And I don't know the changes that are going on in Brooklyn, but I, when I come back to the city, I see the changes in the city. And also, I talk to some of the DJs, and the DJs are not happy. Like, the rates have gone down. DJs are never happy. I mean, they're really not happy, <laughs> though, you know? It's kind of yeah, like... I mean, it's a fundamentally changed city. Yeah. And it just, you know, you, you deal with it in the mm-hmm. way that you deal with all of the inconveniences and annoying shit that New York throws at you. Yeah, yeah. But I think with the reason why the rub or maybe everyday people, why those parties can stay consistent is because back in the day, people would just go out and we would literally be like, yo, let's go to the LES. No specific club in mind, right? Right. Let's mm-hmm. just go to the LES. Let's go to Ludlow Lounge. Let's hop around. And now people don't do that. People are not willing to commit to just going out in New York or maybe even in Brooklyn, but they're willing to commit to the rub. They're willing to commit to Tiki Disco. So even though the neighborhood changes, I think the brand of those parties have a lot of loyalty with the people. And that's what keeps it kind of steady. I mean, the crowds are going to change. Yeah, yeah. But Mm -hmm. like, you know, when we used to do La Marina, Uh you know, all the Dominicans up there was like, everyday people must be here today because there's like a thousand people marching uh, down the street. Right, right. And the next day, the party will be totally different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with it's the brand loyalty now. People follow the parties, and they're they're more intentional about it. Right. They, they look at the calendar. Like, when is it? All right. Well, I guess I'm going out on the last Saturday of the mm-hmm. month. They buy I'm tickets. Going out on the first Sunday. Yeah, they buy tickets. Mm-hmm. Also, if you go if you go for that trendy sauce type of party, and you switch up for month to month, or mm-hmm. you know whatever, it doesn't. It's not conducive for you to keep going back there because it's almost going to play itself out. Right. So. With a lot of people where they may be beefing, well, you were looking to be trendy or you were looking to have that hot moment. You yeah. weren't looking to be a brand. You were looking to be lit. You know right. what I mean? And lit changes from month mm-hmm. to month. And maximize and, your cash yeah. in the short term. And yeah. that's how you really yeah. kill your party. I, I think, yeah. too, what, what happens is that you, when, you, when you do something super trendy, you attract super trendy people and who, it's who, who aren't going to... Exactly. They're, they're fickle. They're not yeah, going to totally. stay with it because the next trend is going to come along. And then, the, you do. know, then they're going to jump on, on that thing and they don't, they don't remember your dubstep party anymore or your mashup party anymore whatever yeah (laughs) yeah um what what kind of music are you guys like what seems to be the for you guys like you know the soundtrack for the rub and everything like soundtrack for uh everyday people what seems to be your soundtrack for the rub right now kind of a new wave of new music coming out and the changes and you know hip-hop and all of this stuff hmm I mean, definitely some of the um, 
some of the Afrobeats stuff that's uh, th- that's getting run on the radio and that's like really big on Spotify now, you can play it prime time next to R&B records, next to older reggaeton records, whatever. Like that that's that's new as of the last couple of years. R- crossover uh, music from Africa and England that uh, where people. You know, they don't even know that it's a Mr. Easy record. They just know that they that they heard it for the first time at our party and that they're going to hear it again next month. And and that just works its way into it. You know, it's just not a full commitment where we're going to do an hour of that. But right, right. Th- mm-hmm. And there and there's always something like that. And being that, in Brooklyn, you yeah. guys have always had a strong reggae uh, like set and uh, like a, a strong reggae sound. At the rub, you that's know? actually back back to your question about yeah. what's changed about Brooklyn. Yeah, that's probably the most pronounced thing that's changed musically is that people just don't fuck with reggae in the same way that they did before. Really, I mean, not that it not that it's yeah. not a really important part of the soundtrack uh-huh. of Brooklyn, but it's we can't play it that much. Oh. People don't want to hear it for that long. They're not. You talking about old up. reggae or new reggae or like reggae altogether? Uh, both. There's yeah. certain. Yeah. There's certain big records that you have to play every time, like you know, Vibes, Fever. Mm-hmm. You need to play. You need to play Party Animal every yeah. time. Uh-huh. Those those records don't change as fast as they used to, mm-hmm. and they're also kind of um, uh, there. Th- there's a lot of more, a lot more cream in the coffee now than there used to be with that kind of shit because. Because um, the because the biggest reggae song is is f- for you know w- was like Sia with Sean Paul on it and I thought you were gonna say Ed Sheeran. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and Eleven and I have our differences on that record, uh, and I really wish that was a Rihanna record, you yeah. know. Uh-huh. But but um, the, the, yeah, there there there's certain stuff yeah, like that and saying, though, yeah. and Despacito, you know. Uh-huh. I mean, that was getting played in a in oh, a wow. reggae and reggaeton set. Uh-huh. Uh, we're not playing Despacito now, uh-huh. but you know, there's all these things that, pe- that that in a big room that people expect to hear. Uh, for a few months, mm-hmm. and then either those records cool off, or uh, they become part of the fabric of what we do. Where you you know you don't hear Ed Sheeran anymore, but you still hear like Rihanna work. Yeah. Uh, or uh, I don't know. Help me out. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think one of the biggest <laughs> changes with, 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 with dance hall is that you know ten years ago we had rhythms. Yeah. Like a big song would come out, and there'd be like four little. Mm-hmm sister records with it that you could play and do that now we don't have that like i play fever uh, i don't know if there's other songs on that rhythm i don't even care because they don't really make a dent right. party animal ha- does have like that two other songs on the rhythm right. mm-hmm. but like most of these big songs <coughs> broke off your back I, mean, I don't know if there's other songs on the rim and I, it doesn't even really matter so your reggae set just doesn't have the same like duration yeah. as before yeah. right another thing too is a lot of those guys can't travel to the US so before they used to be able to come in promote their records and promote their albums and then make a little bit more of a presence known in the US they they can't do that now that's interesting so so that plays a lot into it too and then Mm -hmm. another point is that just not that many good reggae records out right now they're not they're not that, that interesting just just you just know? not the yeah. really really big records uh in they jamaica from like popcon and alkaline are like 89 bpm 
almost like ballads yeah. with like heavy kick yeah. drums. Yeah. Kind of sound like hip hop. Yeah. You know what I mean? And R and B. And sound like hip hop and R and B. They're girl records. Yeah. They're yeah. Not but talk- they're talking about, you know, they're not shoot the pussy wall and I'm face. Right, right, right. Over right. like a super smooth, <laughs> smooth, smooth yeah, yeah, ballad. Smooth, it's yeah, just yeah. so crazy. Yeah. Schizophrenic even. Yeah. 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 I remember by I remember it used to be that when you would play re- reggae at a hip hop party, you had so much more leeway. And then when they started playing, um, w- when Clear Channel started uh, buying radio stations, and those radio stations would play Sean Paul, they would play Beanie Man, they might play that Elephant Man when Little John got mm-hmm. on the remix. Mm-hmm. That th- those became radio records in the way that hip hop was radio records. When all of a sudden it's like, y- you know, it, it used to be that that was like, it was a vibe that you would go to and stay there for a while. And it and it turned into like hip hop. Like here's a bunch of here's a bunch of peak records that are going to stick around for longer, but that you have to play. And that's what people's expectations are mm-hmm. for for what's in your reggae set. And it in the in the 90s, it was. I mean, you knew you were going to hear Who Am I, but yeah. there there would be a bunch of other reggae songs that you didn't know what they were. And it's not that it didn't matter. It was just that there was a lot of pop and dance hall. Right. You know that people would just fuck with. Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. it was like a, girls was didn't know what the words were. It was it a golden matter. era. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe, to your earlier point, do you think that people in Brooklyn fuck less with dancehall because of the gentrification? Oh, for sure. Because of the displaced Caribbean and yeah, you know, and Black American people yeah. that used to make up more of that population. Yep, without question. And now because dancehall is more out of the mainstream than it was you know when sean paul used to reign supreme it's not it's not pop music anymore mm-hmm. you know it makes it that much harder mm-hmm. and you know hip-hop is pop music and r&b is mm-hmm. pop music and some obviously pop and some of the afro beats is pop music nowadays but very little dance hall is you know very, i mean at some, at some point diplo was kind of keeping reggae alive a little bit like in in the mainstream era, like that for, could be a controversial opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean for us in the mainstream club, like in Vegas. I think that what what he was doing and, and what Major Laser was doing, yeah, is they created like a pop dance hybrid of dancehall, right? And they mm-hmm. pushed that, and that worked really well. Mm-hmm. It still works really well, yeah, in yeah. the big clubs. But I don't think that was keeping dancehall alive. Well, I mean in a mainstream. Like for us in a mainstream room in a club, I'll rephrase that. In a mainstream room like in Vegas, it was one of the few times when we could we could play a quote unquote reggae sounding record mm-hmm. that people would gravitate to. You know what I'm saying? Right. And for us, it was like, well, from that I can go into maybe an, I can either lead from a reggae record into that. Or I could just treat it as an EDM record and play it as an EDM record, mm-hmm. but I can go also go out into some kind of reggae if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a, it's a bridge um, yeah. record. With you and it's Neville like one, one of those records that we were just saying that was like the bridge. The, yeah, the, well, we were talking earlier. It was like the widespread record okay, that we could like gotcha. it can open the it yeah. can it can keep everyone happy. So now I have a question right. for you and Neville because you got you guys both play in Vegas. Yes, mm-hmm. I'd be really curious to see if after. This kind of major laser diplo kind of set. If you can play the toast record yeah. by Coffee, because that's a huge record uh-huh. for everybody else. Right. But I don't know if that's hit Vegas yet. Uh huh. But it's a, it's a record that's going right. to keep charting. Right. You know what I mean? The trajectory yeah. is high in that record. It's. Do you, you guys played yet uh, at the Rub? No, I haven't. 
No, like but, we were, we were talking about this last night over dinner. I don't love it. Right. Um, and I know that it's popping, but it's not something that I like enough that I want to play. Yeah, but like yeah. Joanna is huge. Joanna is massive. I yeah. prefer, Afro I, B. I just That's started huge. recently started playing Joanna. Yeah. And Quick was telling me, damn, this record's kind of old. He's just started yeah, playing Joanna. Joanna's yeah. from like last year. But, yeah, like but, here, but the great story is tell him, tell him why you started playing that. One of the managers came up to me. He was like, yo, you got that, that record, Joanna? He's like, yo, I, I know Alpha Beats is not big in Vegas, but yo, I really like that song. Right. Like, yeah, I'll play that shit. Fuck, you want to hear it? Ever since then, I've been playing it in my set. Yeah. Mm. Yo, you know what's funny about Joanna? Not yeah. only is the record from last year, yeah. but it sounds like Afro Beats from 2013, right? Mm. It sounds like Afro Beats, not 101, but 201. Right. Which is really interesting because the Afro Beats artists are trying so hard to get like on mainstream and radio recognition mm -hmm. that they're making R&B, Drake-sounding records, but people really want the shit that broke through about five years ago, the shit that we started playing at, um, at Red Rooster and at Everyday People that kind of put both of those parties on the map, you know? So I think, you know, it's something for artists to, like, take heed to. Like, it's cool. You, you, you made it to Hollywood. You're hanging out with Chris Brown. You're hanging out with Drake. You're in the studio with those guys. And you're probably, artistically, you might be way past the shit you were making three years ago. Right. But that's what you need to make to really make a dent in the states. Mm -hmm. well, that's what happened with um, reggae early on, like when Shaba, when Shaba first came out. He was really known for the dance halls, um, you know, digital B type of joints and this, that, and the third. But when he got over into the states, he made records with Maxi Priest. Right. You know They're what I mean? Songs. But even you, yeah. you know, when he, when he yeah. signed to the major label, you know what I mean. So they they wanted a more you know appeal type of record. But you know we like that too. But we really like. Tingling a ling, we really, really like can, can done, got exactly. it good. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know what I mean? We really yeah. like those songs. Yeah. So it, it's, I think it's a little bit different for international artists because it has so much time that to, to get over to the other side. Right. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know? the production in dance hall changed a whole lot too. We we kind of touched on it, but the the dance hall in Jamaica five years ago was so influenced by American R and B. Even even ten years ago, that there was there was much less of an identity you know like the vocalists are different but the beats aren't that different um and it became all synths yeah yeah mm -hmm. exactly yeah well i kind of wanted to go back to what you were talking about of uh with the coffee uh toast record mm -hmm. and i think what's important and is that djs need to work together to push a record out like that that if when you believe in that record and then you tell me about it and then it spreads and you know and then it's like kind of like for example some djs have more access to some people like mark ronson right i have a, access to people who listen to the podcast you have your following so if i if we're all working together and i'm at your party and i'm instagramming your party and you're on the mic and you're and you're playing coffee toast and you're on the mic saying this is the record of 2019 right this is the biggest record this year, then my following is watching that. Right. You know what I'm saying? And then my other boy's following is, is watching and he maybe records the same thing and then Mark Ronson sees that. It just leaks over to the powers that be and the actual DJs and that's how we actually make a difference with Afrobeat or any type of genre, music, reggae or whatever. That's really about DJs working together again. Kind of just like spreading the word out when a record is really that dope. Because I have an Instagram story 
from everyday people of you announcing that to that record and i got 20 to 30 dms from random djs from random cities asking what's that song it's so and then weird shout out now. to walshy fire by the way who yeah. co-produced it and also here's the funny thing as soon as i posted that there were certain record pools that immediately saw that and posted that as a downloadable song six hours later that's crazy you Curse. feel me so that's, that's what that's the thing that's, that's kind of dope actually it's dope because it's one of those things where i'm not i'm not you know i don't i don't have that access to it and you're you're allowing access for me to actually experience that as well as your party and then when you're educating me i'm educating my following and my following's like yo that's dope and they're educating everyone that they're following and it becomes it's almost like a different way of word of mouth it's it's taking it back to when the dj was the tastemaker when exactly. you walk into beach street and goldie's playing something right. and you're like what are you playing and you're like oh that's the jones sisters and you're like can i get that record right. you know what i mean so i can then play it because what's happened in the past few years is that the end users with their iphones and their ipads and itunes they've been voting their songs up it's not. It's not working though now. It's not, it's working, not working anymore. Now. The sh- the Spotify playlists and all of that, them picking the songs and shit. Like I think that 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 can work, but I think it's recently we're seeing it's not working. You guys are picking some sound, like the SoundCloud art- artists that you guys picked and you think are going to last. They're not lasting. The but music's I, not lasting. But I think that's always been the case. Like the people who are the gatekeepers always get shit wrong, and it's people who have their finger more on the pulse who push things forward. Right. And but so I mean, I, you're really, not wrong, but I don't think it's an isolated incident. But I think the people that were doing the playlist had their finger on the pulse, but as soon as it became big business for a playlist to be what it is and labels got involved. And paying for playlists. Ch- they paid for crazy. the playlist and they fucked it all up. Yeah, yeah I don't know. You I don't think, it's know? Always been I think like they've that. been paying for it for a long time. I think it's been like that. I think it's been like that for a while. Yeah. But there's the, yeah. the, the weird thing now is that there's no music journalism. Mm. Like that that was another thing is it is it somebody from the fader would go to Moma's party and hear him play that record and then uh then she's going to be on the cover of the fader in in 3 or 4 months or 6 months from now or or you know whatever or like you know s- still tipping would get hot and they would send somebody down to Houston to do, to to follow them around and do a detailed story about the scene down there or what and, and there's there's so little of that the story is is uh, that uh, Justin Bieber tweeted about this thing or whatever. It's you know mm-hmm. it's it's not that there's this thing that uh, that that happened organically and then they did a tour and it, and uh, the music journalists like all got won over to that thing and that's not to take obviously there's a lot of other stuff like the label money going into it and all that stuff but the it, it's just totally decentralized and definitely Spotify is not it. Right, you know yeah. what I mean? Like Spotify is not is not because the because the because of the algorithm, the way that people game it mm-hmm. is so different that that Ray Schremer will release a triple album, right? Just hoping that they can keep having something be on Rap Caviar mm-hmm. playlist for eighteen months or whatever, or, or like Future will just keep coming out with project after project after right. project that's like totally unmemorable, but their shit. In, is making in it to that playlist, yeah. and so they're able to make a video, and that you know it's able to keep his career alive. But, but at one but point, ca- rap caviar was kind of like 
the taste like it was it was letting you know what the, the what go-to, is pop, the list. go-to list yeah. i think it was following all this other shit though yeah but it was like, i don't it think was, it, was, it was condensing like, it and like yeah showcasing it for the right people like i think for the it was masses. doing it for the people that weren't actually aware and mm-hmm. then once you make people aware and they stick around for maybe a month and then they kind of get wise up and then it doesn't become what well, that like, thing like is. i wasn't aware you know? of like soundcloud some of the soundcloud rappers that were out like i can be honest about that like i wasn't on top of that shit you well, know you didn't I mean? need it because it wasn't club music it wasn't but then it became club music kind of for a little bit yeah for a little bit once you get aware year. and then after for, that for, it, yeah. it, it 2018 it's relevant yeah. you know yeah. what i mean yeah. But a lot of these a lot of these these the institutions and stuff like that are not being curated by people that are actually involved with the music. Mm-hmm. They're they're really selling you advertising. They're not really selling right. you the music. So yeah. when you you get that upstream of, you know, interaction or whatever like that, that's ad. That's not because actual people are yeah, yeah. connecting because you can tell after that song is gone who was that artist again? I forgot. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no career attached. There's no pull. You know, there's no tugging on the heartstrings. Right. This shit is it's a done deal. What do you guys attribute the success of Joanna to? Joanna, um, I think it's it's a good, catchy Afro beat record, and it just kept working. It they worked it for like over eighteen months till yeah. it made it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, I think it's. I want to know how it led to a manager going up to, you know, Neva saying like, yo, can you play that? An Afrobeat song. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's on the radio for one thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's how are you even leading it to, to all that? I think the that. BPM had a lot to do with it, Yeah, too. 108 BPM is a good tempo. Um, yeah. I don't know, bro. It, it it blew up after I had more or less retired it. Right. You know, no, I but like, all I, right, I'm dude, done I mean, with it. I love, and then I, it blew up, and now I'm bringing it back in all my sets. There's so many like Afrobeat songs that I love. And that, that I that I sing along to, and I'm I'm always wondering like how did that leak through from all of them? You know what I mean? Uh, but I just think it's interesting. I think the topic the topic had a lot to do with. It. They had a video for it, um, so, yeah. That's, and they they did work the record for a pretty long time. Mm-hmm. But I think that BPM is just a good paced record. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's not too too slow. It's not fast, fast where you gotta be kind of like self conscious. It's yeah. like a good two step type of you yeah. know mm-hmm. and area. So and another nice thing of spots, why the, the Afro beats records cross over is because they can get play everywhere. Right. They're all like family, all different formats, PG thirteen. Like right, they're talking right. about girl, I want to marry right, you, right, I want right. to buy you a house, right. and that's to the detriment of like dance hall where they're talking about you know shoe now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And it's, <laughs> it has a lot of those those uh, original R and B emotions and messages right it's it it's very it's yeah. very basic it's like telenovela like you know because r&b right now is almost like it's like crude it's like hip-hop almost yeah. right no it is about yeah it's crude, hip-hop right crude, now crude hip-hop. and that's yeah. and it's kind of like the it's kind of what i thought about i mean i don't know what the fuck they're saying with reggaeton but just the melodies and reggaeton it reminds me of like kind of pop r&b a little bit just these like these memorable melodies and then it just has that you know that typical reggae you know beat but it's I, I think a lot of the reggaeton that you hear in the clubs is yeah. pretty family friendly it's the dembo shit that That's those guys are saying wild shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're saying crazy shit that's for sure um what do you call it uh you guys have to go unfortunately <laughs> yeah joey and airs uh 11 and airs uh we got to do this again next time we're in new york i want to link up with you guys talk a little bit more I know, Ayers, you want to talk a little bit more, right? 
<laughs> Can we briefly t- t- hit on this amazing uh, collection of yes, photos? Let's do yeah, it. this book is pretty dope. And this, uh, you guys can explain this better than us. 17 years of the rub. 16. Si- oh, 16. Yeah. But it'll be 17. It'll be 17. 17. 17. Yeah, we're going to put one page on the back. Glue a page to the I don't, back. I don't pay for shit, but I actually pay for this book. You did. I did. You did. Harris's yeah. kids really appreciate it. <laughs> did they pack my shit? Did they pack my order? <laughs> and we got a little sweatshop going in the basement. That's dope. No, yeah, I mean, we, this, go ahead. We started putting, so it's a book of photographs from the party. We've been, we were pretty diligent about uh, documenting the party from very early on. Um, Stop. So uh, it's we worked with Kenny Rodriguez, um, who probably has 80, 90% of the photos in there, um, and a couple of other photographers, Show Shots and Ian Meyer, um, who helped with pictures over the years. And we started putting it together uh, for the 15th anniversary, and it took until the 16th anniversary to actually finish it. Wow. So, um, yeah, so it turns a, out... Putting together a book is not making a mixtape. You, can, <laughs> you, you can't just like put a bunch of hot songs Jay, together yeah. and then upload it. AOP. We should have got you the intro. Yeah, we start. We started from like fifteen thousand images and whittled it down to hundred and forty or something like that. So it was a, wow. It was a crazy process, um, but it was really fun. Like it's, we got to see. Uh, I realized there were a bunch of people who'd been regulars for five years before mm-hmm. I knew who they were just because they were in pictures from month after month after month. Wow. Yeah, it's weird. There's people who who came to the book release party who we've been looking at pictures of them forever and don't know their name and never, you know, like never wow. met them before that now, like, as a result of this, it was a, it was a, it was a weird connection of us to, like, talk to the people who are actually in the room with us instead of just being That's behind nice. the turntables. That's cool. Yeah. That's special. And, uh, That's cool. Yeah. You know, when we when we look at it, when we look at like it, it makes me so happy still to look at mm-hmm. this thing that I that I've looked at so many fucking times in the editing process of been like, does it stay? Does it go? Mm-hmm. All these pictures, like each one, I remember where we were, who all really? was there, who took the picture, who's not in the shot, like uh-huh. what song was playing at the mm-hmm. time, like Damn, so so much of it. I, I mean, it's really hard for us to be objective about it because we lived it but it mm-hmm. it really feels special to us still and i think that a lot of people who were there and who look at the book like feel the same thing yeah. that we yeah. do where like if i give it to a track he's like oh my god like th- this has been going on for so long and i remember this night yeah like this was really fun and i remember you know like i remember hearing this record for the first time in the club there or like i met this girl there and i dated her for 18 years or married her or mm-hmm. whatever like all yeah. the all that stuff is in this uh, I don't know silly picture book that we, that we put together. Oh, this is dope. Who came up with the idea to put it together? Kind of us and Kenny Rodriguez. Kenny Rodriguez is really ambitious, uh, the photographer, and and uh, all along was like, yeah, we're we're gonna do a book eventually, and we're like, we're, not, we're like just shoot the picture. Like, what are you? Doing? <laughs> we're not gonna do that. Uh-huh. And then um, you know, and, and then uh, we just looking back at all these photo galleries that we had online like we have so many good pictures mm. this needs to be a book he's right mm-hmm. you know so we we listened to him yeah. and uh said like okay that's and then it just it just turns out that it's so much more work than you think it is <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but uh yeah it kind of kind of us and kenny like we're, we're always thinking about what the what's the next thing that we're gonna do is it gonna you know is it is it mm-hmm. gonna be streaming the party is it gonna be refrigerator magnets are we gonna like 
right, you know right. are we, are we going to get a red bull radio show are we going to go on a tour and do something or whatever and mm-hmm. th- this is this is just one of those things where like it it it, it was a good idea that came to fruition, not like, you know, the refrigerator magnet idea or whatever. <laughs> that came to so. fruition. I still have that on my refrigerator. Yeah, we do have some refrigerator oh, really? magnets. <laughs> well, like, you know, I got to thank you guys for coming on the show. I've been wanting to have you guys. I know, like, as soon as we came to New York, you guys were one of my first people. Eleven, airs. I've known you guys, you know, probably in the early stages of my DJ career. And you guys have helped, you know, like, shaped a lot of who i am as a dj and i wanted to have you guys on here and i really appreciate you guys and uh and the rub was one of those first parties that i'll never forget and i'm glad it's still going on and it's still a part of new york and it's a part of the new brooklyn as well (laughs) (laughs) and before we clap them up the rub is the last saturday of every month at the bell house in brooklyn and the website and the social media is it's the rub it's the rub and I believe we just uh, booked DJ Moma for our anniversary party this Boom. summer. We did. It's oh, yes. amazing. Hey, mind blown. <laughs> it's amazing. Are you going to put him in the test room first? In the small room? Just to see how he's going to do it? He's, he's well tested. Next time we come on the show, we can talk about when he did the Red Bull 3 style. Oh. And, and won it for New York. We, we, we spoke no about scratching that. It was, an, no it was an inside play. job. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go down in history. Yeah. Moma. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I don't want to do this shit. I don't want to do the fucking. You know how you have style. like some dude be like, yo, he's the DJ's DJ. I was like, yo, I'm your DJ's. I'm your favorite DJ's least favorite DJ. <laughs> <laughs> hey yo, AS Eleven, the Rub. Thank you for coming through, man. Thank you. Much yeah. Thank you. And thank you for Goldfinger staying with us. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah that Goldfinger, was dope. Shout that was dope. we're in the presence of greatness. <laughs>